You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since of the GGTMC. <laughs> Easily the catchiest music I think we've ever opened with on the show. Yes. I got to take my uh, platforms off to not get to record in, man. They get uncomfortable. Yeah, that song just fucking jams. <laughs> <laughs> little theme music from Super Snoopa. <laughs> All right, so we are back from another episode. And to give everybody kind of a behind the scenes, uh, just like four or five hours ago, we got done recording uh, <laughs> the end of the year show with... Uh, uh, Bill and Chris and Miles from over at uh, for, over at Outside the Center, but Miles is not part of that show, but he was there too, and uh, we had a great time as usual. Uh, I, I took my tasteless humor onto the uh, OTC show because Bill loves the tasteless stuff, and we had a good time. It was it was it's always great to uh, to be able to do a show with Bill and Chris, obviously, and then Miles, of course, too. So I know that you feel the same way because we we have a blast with those guys every time. Oh yeah, and, and you know I wish we could all get together more often, which I said at the end of the show. Doesn't always work out. When we do, yeah, it is really a blast, and it was uh, it was a lot of, definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, I got like a podcasting hangover. Yeah, <laughs> we got three days in a row of podcasting uh, work to do this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. So uh, we are back this week. We are covering uh, Sergio Corbucci's Super Snooper, <laughs> Terrence Hill, uh, <laughs> Ernest Borgnine cop movie, a unique cop movie, but a uh, cop movie nonetheless. And um, uh, Vim Vendor's Paris, Texas, which is <laughs> slightly different than Super Snooper. <laughs> you see, we always say that. I think it really does apply this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It totally applies this time. <laughs> yeah. In tone, in spirit, and everything. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know, I could, I could in spirit. Uh, both films are very Americana, so we could say that. Here's the common thread. It's European filmmakers vac- making very American films. Yeah. Yes, yes. With with a very European feel at times. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so that is what we're covering. Let's see what we've been watching. Large William, what have you been watching? 
Um, I've been watching a fair bit. Uh, it's that time of year, so it's you know Christmas movie season. So we've been rolling out some Christmas films. Um, my wife's favorite Christmas film, and, and I'd probably say mine, uh, although it does get watched you know a little more than I'd like for my taste. Chris, Bob Clark's Christmas Story. I guess. Um, every year I kind of grimace that she wants to watch it as much as I love it. Um, and every year I find myself by the time, you know, uh, Ralphie's in like. Uh, Kind of the the shiny cowboy suit daydreaming, and you know, to get the old timey, uh, you know, burglars getting shot with the X's on their eyes. I'm kind of charmed by that point. So, right, right. you know, it, it's just I think you know one of the best Christmas stories. And as you know, that I'm a parent, I kind of see it a little bit differently. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always good stuff. Uh, I decided to watch some of the VHS films that I'd picked up uh, over the past few years. I watched Straight to Hell, the Alex Cox. Um, Pet Project Spaghetti Western of sorts that's got the Pogues and Elvis Costello and um, um, Courtney Love, just a bunch of you know punk and new wave kind of musicians. This, to me, unfortunately, as, as much as I think Cox is the, the master of Spaghetti Western knowledge, uh, it reeks of, respectfully to anyone who really likes it, uh, and if Mr. Cox himself is listening somehow, which I doubt, but it reeks of kind of vanity project, um, and, I mean, and, and I guess self-indulgence maybe would be a more accurate way to put it. It's, it's like the poor man Sukiyaki Western where it's a spaghetti Western backdrop for something that the director was trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah, you know? no, I, I like the film a lot, but I, th- I think it does, it's definitely, it's very, a very personal thing, and uh, I think uh, maybe not an easily accessible film for some. Yeah, I thought it was pretty messy. You know, it, it, interesting mess. Yes, certainly. But and I think also to be fair to the film, I watched it on a VHS, you know, full frame. Maybe seeing it now in, in widescreen would help a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's not perfect by any means. It's not even. Arguably, it may not even be good actually. But yeah, you know, interesting nonetheless. The next up, I watched. Um, it had leaked. Full disclosure, I watched it. Uh, the remake of the film Zametti or Thirteen. Mm-hmm. Now, this film had a cast on it. I mean, you're talking Mickey Rourke, Michael Shannon, Sam Riley. Um, oh, gosh, who else? Oh, Ray Winston, Jason Statham, uh, Ben Gazzara. You know, it's kind of a, an underground Russian roulette film for those who haven't seen Zemetti. I had and quite liked it uh, when it came out. This was a really flat remake. It just very bland. Um, the problem with having a movie like this in America is you have stars in it, and that means you know the pecking order of how everyone's going to die. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <clears throat> or not die, for the most part. Interesting. So, yeah, not very good. I, it, it's very average. Um, then I watched uh, a Stephen McCaddy, uh, Deborah von Valkenberg, um, Soldier of Fortune action movie called One Man Out, which was okay in spots, not as much scenery chewing as I would have liked. Um, I watched a Fellini documentary called Fellini, I'm a Born Liar, um, it was pretty fascinating. I think anyone who loves Fellini would, you know, love to see him kind of muse on his career and his influences and, and everything. Uh, it's got Donald Sutherland and Terrence Stamp um, talking about working with him as well, which is pretty interesting. Then I watched a film that you and Roop had really been uh, strong on, which was The Late Show. Uh-huh. I quite enjoyed it, man. I thought it was good. I thought Lily Tomlin was great. Of course, Arcani was great. Um, I don't, I don't love it as much as you did, but. A very solid film. Uh, I quite enjoyed it, and I think it's, it makes an interesting companion piece to the Long Goodbye. Like, you know, two '70s films that are kind of deconstructing the whole '40s noir kind of detective film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Winter's Bone, which you know you heard me talk about last night on the OTC show, you'd all of us talk about, so you can just go over there and listen to that. Yeah. Um, I watched the Hong Kong cut of The Protector, which is a, a Jackie Chan film. I'd, I'd only ever seen the Glickenhaus cut. Uh, this was going to be Jackie Chan's big breakthrough into America. Glickenhaus basically froze him out and released a sleazier, less competent action film. Uh, and then Jackie recut it in Hong Kong. Um, it's it's minor Jackie, but there's still some pretty jaw-dropping stuff. Uh, so it was interesting to see the original cut I'd seen and then this and kind of see the difference. Um, so getting back to Christmas films, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. My son's first rank in Bass. Um, they were marginally interested. They were interested, but you know, by you know about halfway through, William was kind of playing with uh, Thomas the tank engine and, and looking at the screen in between. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's actually it. I started Black Rain, which I haven't seen in years, but I'll probably finish it next week, so I'll talk about it then. Hmm. I watched that. Uh, I think the first year we were doing the show, I rewatched that on Blu-ray. Black How did Rain. it hold up? It was pretty good. It's uh, it's not bad. I like the film. I think Douglas is a little bit miscast as like the biker cop though <laughs> no well yeah he is a little bit miscast in the film but uh it's good nonetheless him and garcia are good together and was it garcia no it, yeah it was yeah it. yeah it's him and garcia and then ten kakakura which uh, i thought was interesting and also it's got fucking lone wolf uh what's his name uh, i can't remember i can never pronounce his name i can't even remember tomasabo i can't remember his name but lone wolf is in it and i remember yeah. seeing his name in the credits and i was like so tired and i'm like you know what? If I got to stay awake just to see Lone Wolf, man. And I didn't. I was very tired. But, yeah. you know. I, mean, I play those games with myself sometimes, too. <laughs> it's like if I can just yeah. make it to the scene where so-and-so shows up, I'll go to bed yeah. after that. Next thing I know, I'm asleep. I'm like, oh, I couldn't do it. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, I only watched a few things outside of the films for the show. Uh, I watched, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and get out of the way first. I watched The Town, which I liked quite a bit, but did not love. Uh, but uh, I think, yeah, and it's the same situation. You can go to the OTC live show and hear me talk about that more. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that here, but it is a good movie. I'm not going to say it's not a good movie. It's a good movie. I recommend everybody check it out. Is it enough for you to say that you consider uh, Affleck pretty much you'll see anything he directs now? Uh, well, that I, I would have done that anyway with Gone Baby Gone, but uh, yeah. I do think he's a, in my opinion, he's a better <laughs> filmmaker than he is actor. So, yeah, okay. I'm always going to be watching whatever Ben Affleck makes as a director. Uh, he's not let me down there really because he does a good job here too but he 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 uh i think he I fell in love with the material a little too much because it's a lot longer than i thought it was going to be you know, two hours and and i believe there's one heist that they didn't really need in there but you know it does show some talent that heist but uh i don't know i think there was one heist too many but you can what's up so it's good. you can see the the similarity in scenes uh with eddie coyle with a few things too uh yeah it's it's basically <coughs> eddie coyle with action scenes more action mm-hmm. scenes, I should say. Mm-hmm. Ah, just down to the that first cup of coffee quickly, brother. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> that is quick. <laughs> I was thirsty, and I am tired. Mm-hmm. And for the behind the scenes, we're doing the show extra early this morning, 6 a.m., because I have to go get uh, pictures taken with my family for Christmas, which can always be an entertaining uh, prospect. It can either be shambles or it can be uh, totally enlightening. We'll see what happens. It can go just- either way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, luckily for us, it went well until you know, the end of the day. But uh, yeah. good luck, my friend. Yes, yes, it's always a, it's a it's a gamble, no matter what. Uh, I watched uh, the Mayor of the Sunset Strip. This is about uh, Rodney Bingenheimer, the uh, famous, uh, I guess, DJ and LA celebrity. Uh, he uh, it, this is a really good documentary. I meant to see this a long time ago, and I never saw it. And it popped up on Netflix Instant Watch, so it might be on your Netflix Instant Watch as well. It's a really yeah, good doc. It's a really good doc. It's really good. 
and it says a lot about celebrity and stuff. The most interesting thing about it is it seems like whoever Rodney Bingenheimer was hanging out with, his hair changed to their hairstyle somehow. <laughs> <laughs> really odd. Uh, but it was pretty good. And uh, I had a good week, though, because everything I watched, I liked. And uh, I watched uh, another film called Never Let Me Go. This is the... Uh, I only watched this because I'd heard so many people... Not so many people, but I heard a lot of critics that I read really liked it. Now, on the surface, this doesn't look like anything I'm interested in. It's uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, Carrie Mulligan, I guess her name is, and uh, and Kira Knightley. And I thought, oh, it must be some kind of... Never Let Me Go. It must be some kind of romantic comedy thing or something. And uh, it is. it does have romance in it, but it's not a comedy at all. And uh, it's really good. I don't want to talk too much about it, though, because it's... it's it could give away. Uh, there's a major plot point that really the whole film hinges on, so you can't really talk about it without almost giving the whole damn thing away. So, but uh, I do recommend it to everybody. It was really, really good. Uh, it's very, very good actually. So, definitely a good movie to watch with uh, your significant other, to say the least. Yeah, I remember that was a tiff, and I was I kind of was interested, but the surface material didn't appeal to me enough to seek it out at the time but I, I've heard a lot of good things about it too so I'll definitely check it out especially after you've said that well, it was directed by Mark Romanek and he's he's a good director I mean he made one hour photo and yeah, I think he was going to make The Wolfman but he backed out of that or fell out of that or one or the other but uh, you know, he's a good music video director but this is this is a really good uh, strong film for him it's you know it's it's really good so <laughs> it sucks because I want to I want to talk about it but there's not really much I can say without just give because it, it, it hinges on this one idea and that pretty much tells you the whole movie <laughs> Oh, uh, I think they revealed that when they talked about um, talked about it for the film festival, which I won't go into either. Then, but um, yeah. Yeah. Garfield's making a lot of right choices, man. Get on him. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Uh, and that's all I watched. Kept it light this week, so I'm up to three eighty four on the year. I don't know if I'm going to get to four hundred. I'll be honest with you, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm getting closer to four five. I think I'm about four eighty six, four eighty seven. I should get there, but you never know, man. Those last few weeks of December can be a you know real roll of the dice in terms of uh, you know holiday you got commitments and stuff and you can't get out of those commitments. So. Yeah, yeah. I was going to try to squeeze them in uh, this week, but school's ending this week, so I got a lot of projects doing stuff. So this week's going to be pretty brutal, I think. So, but you know it'll be over pretty soon again. So then I got to go back, but I only got to go back one more time. The next time we talk, have this conversation, it'll be the last time I talk about school. Nice. It will be. Ever since we've been doing the podcast, I've been in school. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. All right, so that is what we watched. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk. What do you want to talk about first? Um, why don't we do uh, Super Fuzz first? Okay, we'll do the Super Fuzz. So you heard us call it Super Snoover. It's known as a couple things, but we'll talk about the Super Snooper Fuzz <laughs> <laughs> right after the break. So we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com.
right, we are back. Nice. <laughs> A little arcade fire there. <laughs> A band we both can agree on is pretty damn good. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, okay, uh, so our first film. Back, let me uh, pull up some stats here because I got my pants down, as usual. <laughs> Let's see here. Da, 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 da. This is professional radio. <laughs> okay, here we go. Super Fuzz. All right, also known as, see if I can say this title because uh, I don't know about that last word. So it's Poliziato, right? It's Poliziato? Essentially. Poliziato. Yeah. What's the hell you say? Super. Super Pew. Super Pew. <laughs> yes. Pew actually means more, if I remember correctly, in Italian. Wow. So. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so this is also known as Super Fuzz. It's also known as Super Snooper. It's got a few other titles, but this is a Sergio Corbucci uh, Italian film. Very much, in a lot of ways, this is very much a kid's film. Yes, totally. I said that to my wife. She watched it with me. And, uh, wow, that, that VHS box art on uh, IMDb is awesome. I, ne- I mean, that VHS, but that DVD. I guess it's DVD. I've never seen it before. It's pretty damn awesome. Oh, like the, with the comic book frames? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the, yeah like, that is good. The nuclear explosion and him coming out the middle of it with his fist yeah. in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a, a Terrence Hill, Sergio Corbucci joint. Um this is a very famous film for me because uh, I grew up watching this film a lot. And I think a few, well, we know of at least one other, but I bet a, more than a few of our listeners did the same. And uh, Will had basically, to give everybody a backstory, he had basically uh, posted the theme song on uh, my Facebook. And, you know, it just made me want to watch the movie again, basically. So, you know, we have this outlet to do that kind of thing. So that's what we did. And it was fun to bring Corbucci back and uh, Terrence Hill back. Will was talking about off the break that uh, Terrence Hill hasn't been on the show for 100 plus episodes. <laughs> This is episode one. So it's pretty amazing when I think about that. But, uh, he's one of my favorite Italian actors. And uh, actually, you know what? No, he was on that Viva, that one Django show we did. Because we did it. Oh, a, the one that was it was like a more serious role for him. Yeah. Yeah, we did that one that, but they, right. where he was supposed to be like the Franco Nero copy, which he looked incredibly like Franco Nero. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Good call. But yeah. other than that. Other than that, yeah. But uh, yeah, he's a, fan, he's a fan favorite for me and uh, for Will, too. And, you know, he's always fun. So. Uh, he loves to wear jeans and cowboy hats. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, in uh, every American film I've seen him in, he's rocking that look. All right. Hang on a second. I hear a baby crying. Yeah. a second. But I'll, uh, I guess I'll keep talking then while you go get the baby. Um, yeah. So really what had happened was to, to expand on what Sammy was saying. I was, I like to listen to, uh, you know, film music sometimes when I'm working, uh, or just I'll go to YouTube sometimes and. And, uh, you know, just start playing a, a playlist, um, you know, just to, to listen to some stuff. Um, and, you know, you can see the small windows with the pictures. And I happened to see this picture of Terrence Hill sitting on a rainbow drinking a milkshake. And I thought, oh, I got to see what this is. So I clicked on it and it was the disco-y goodness uh, you'd heard in the beginning of our show. So from there, you know, I asked Sammy what, you know, what was better, the, the poster or the theme song. And. You know, kind of a back and forth, and really, that's uh, that's where what brought us to the film. So nice, nice. You were filling time there while I was gone. Nice. Oh wow, that was perfect timing. <laughs> well, he uh, he was looking for his pacifier in his uh, in his crib, so I think he still wants to sleep a little bit longer. Oh, nice. It's adorable, man. He'll he'll wake up and just moan a little bit, and his eyes stay closed, and he just feels around until he finds something, and then with his eyes closed, he'll work the pacifier around to the way he wants it, and then put it back <laughs> in his mouth. It's pretty amazing. 
<laughs> it's really, it's, uh, you know, everybody says it, but uh, I can say it's on the air. It's really the little things every day. It's like the little things they do every day. It's like all of a sudden so unique and interesting again. It's really amazing. Oh, right? yeah. So true, man. Like when he started using his hands, I just thought that was like the most amazing thing. And, you know, oh, yeah. It's something oh, we, I know, man. It's, it's something totally we all is. do, but, you know, when he uses them, it just, it's, so, it's so neat to me. Uh, okay, uh, so this is a childhood favorite of mine. I don't know what all you said while I was gone, but uh, let's hear what you got to say about the movie. All right. Um, burr, burr. And let me let me add so, this one last time. The Easily maybe one of the catchiest theme songs ever in film history. <laughs> yes, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, this film, <clears throat> Terrence Hill, we, we kind of talked about him when we did our first uh, and a second film, but more so when we did our first film of his how much a lot of his films feel like um, you could watch them with kids. And as as I watched it with my wife, because um, I felt like a feeling she'd like this more than Paris, Texas, yeah. um, just because it was late at night, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I figured she'd enjoy this to some degree, and she did. But we both agreed that when our boys were about seven, eight years old, they could totally watch this. Like There was one moment where I thought it was going to maybe get you know a little bit piggish with a, a strip club, but even that is like, – there's no nudity. So. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, Terrence Hill did a lot of films like this. I mean, you know what I realized? I don't know if I'd said it before or you'd said it before, but it was kind of serendipitous because I was talking about this and someone had said that they saw it as a du- on a double bill at the drive-in with Smokey and the Bandit 2. And it's ironic they said that because when I was taking notes for the show, I'd already thought that, um, it was John that said it, John Junk. Uh, Terrence Hill to me, the more I think about it now, is kind of like an even cleaner version of like the Italian Burt Reynolds. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't remember how huge he was in Italy, but uh, he, he was pretty big. <coughs> Still is pretty popular over there, I believe. Hill or Reynolds? Hill. Right. No, I think, uh, I, I, no, it's ironic I'm mixing them up, but who's do, who does Don Matteo? Is it, uh, is it Hill or is it Nero? Yeah, it's Hill. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he's still working over there, and ironically, they've both aged quite well, so... Very interesting. Um, yeah, actually, but yeah. Hill's aged better than Reynolds, it seems like, Lily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Reynolds uh, is looking a little... Pla- he's got Him and Kenny Rogers need to fire their plastic surgeons, oh, but... Man. Oh, man, Kenny Rogers. <laughs> Poor Kenny, man. Me and Uncle Cal were talking about that. Like, like, literally, Kenny's unrecognizable now, man. It's really sad. <laughs> I, know. I don't mean to laugh, man, but it is, it's brutal. Man. He looks like the fucking yeah. Catwoman from New York. Yeah, yeah, Jocelyn Wildenstein. Totally, man. <laughs> Totally, oh. with like a like a like a silver fox lesbian haircut. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal, man. That is really sad. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> fuck, I don't want to think about Jocelyn all morning. Um, so yeah, this film has uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine, who I know is a favorite of both of ours, and he did a lot of these Italian films. Man, he did that that, that piece of shit uh, Fabrizio D'Angelis when I did Final Score, where the football team. <laughs> goes on the siege uh, to rescue uh, the coach's daughter as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, cash and checks in the 80s, I guess. Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> Morknon is one of those special uh, actors in that uh, he's a character actor. And obviously, he is top five for me when it comes to cash che- uh, checking. Uh, fuck, cash and checks. There we go. He's one of the masters, man. He's up there with Von Zito. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a, he's a favorite of mine. I mean, he, I really love him, man. He's been in some of my favorite stuff. Um the Wild Bunch. I mean, just so many films. Fuck you. I think I got. I I I actually got to click to see how many. Uh, One hundred ninety nine cr- credits. 
Yeah, and he's still going, man. He's like 92 or something. So Yeah, I think somebody, somebody said that, uh, I heard this recently somewhere, that he says one of the the, the secrets to longevity, longevity was... Masturbating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> boy. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, hey, 1917, the guy was born. Are you looking at his credit right now? Yeah, well, I'm actually looking, you, at, I'm looking at the gap between his teeth. <laughs> I, well, why do you think he's smiling so much, man? <laughs> he's been happy. Like pranking going on. God, I hope I can go into my 90s and keep tearing that thing up. Yeah, good on him, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just look. I mean, Escape from New York, 30 does. I mean, so many great films. But but anyway, he plays kind of the grizzled older partner to uh, the young Terrence Hill. And I think they work quite well together. I mean, you know, Terrence Hill uh, and Bud Spencer is the team. But Borgnine, I think, fills, fills in quite admirably uh, for what we need him to in this film. Yeah, I have to think. I don't know the story behind the film, but I have to think either one, they couldn't get Spencer, or maybe the American people who maybe gave some money for this film just wanted Borgnine or, or what. But yeah, Borgnine is totally just a, a – he basically plays the Bud Spencer role, and uh, he does it well. Yeah, yeah, he certainly does. Uh, the the credits for this film, I don't know what that, that style is called, but it's kind of got this like pixelated – Atari meets, you know, blurred cable channel from the 80s when you're trying to make out the porn feel to it. Yeah, yeah it's really odd. They play the theme song and they basically <coughs> showed the whole movie. Yeah. In the credits, but of course it doesn't affect the story at all because it just shows a lot of the uh, kind of wacky Terrence Hill sped up stunts. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of undercranking in this film, it should be said. <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> Including by, well, uh, Borgnine was overcranking offset, I guess, you know. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, at Four minutes and 45 seconds in, Rosie LaBouche says, don't worry, I've got it under control. And whenever a character says that that early in a film, <laughs> they it's the exact opposite. They completely have nothing under control. Yeah, you got a good point. <laughs> um, and again, Hill with the beans, man. <laughs> this guy eats more beans in movies. <laughs> This guy's got a contractual obligation in every film. He's going to eat beans. And, and he always eats them be- those beans that are, like, huge, too. They're not, like... I mean, they make sure that you can see every bean. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's, like, a baked bean, uh, you know, like, almost like a soup. I mean, this is, like, fucking beans, brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this guy, uh, <laughs> you know, I would not want to have been in his trailer in the evenings. <laughs> um, you know, the great thing about Hill, I think... Um, you know, the more we think about them, even the little things, uh, him and Nero, that that are similar, they both did their their own voiceover work, which you can hear his accent come through at times here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, most of the time, <laughs> not not some of the time. Um, and the fact that they both had that kind of they they could, if they wanted to, pass themselves off as kind of this all American look, uh, slightly ethnic, but pretty much all American, you know, because they got the lighter features, the light eyes, and the blondish hair. But I think Hill really did have a, a pretty great. Uh, all-American look, if not an all-American voice. Oh, yeah. You know, he totally did. When I was a kid, I totally thought the guy was an American actor. I didn't know. You know, we didn't have all oh, those yeah. resources back then, so I thought Terrence Hill was, you know, a great American actor. I thought everybody knew who Terrence Hill was. Oh, yeah. Sadly, they don't. Nope. Um, but, uh... I say great American actor, but uh, I wouldn't... I his Hill's acting style isn't so much that he's a great uh, thespian or anything like that, but... He's a true entertainer. Yeah, he's a charmer. I mean, you know, he's yeah. like I said, he's like a, like a Burt Reynolds type. Yeah, and this is totally his kind of film too, where he's uh, kind of like the hapless, you know, where nobody believes him type thing. He does that so well. He just kind of shakes his head or just kind of looks at the camera. That's the Terrence Hill thing. 
<laughs> you want to know something? Before we watched this film, I didn't even read the plot synopsis. Uh-huh. I thought it was going to be just like a like a buddy cop movie. Right. And I started to watch it, and I wrote I wrote down, I'm like, oh, don't, no, no, don't tell me this is a Hulk Bruce Banner thing. <laughs> and it was, but I'm kind of glad it was because it was a bit different and, you know, kind of rompy, goofy, fun in that way. Um, even though the logic of the superpowers makes no sense, there's sometimes no. when he can see stuff and then like he opens something up and it's red on the inside. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if he was looking through it, it was still red on the inside. How yes. Come? You, you kind of have to <laughs> forgo that, I think. And that's why, you know, we had to kind of say like, it, it is maybe a kid's film to a degree because yeah, if we, if we start thinking about it too much, um, his superpowers are so random. It's like he, yeah. he can see through certain things. He can fly. He can jump. He can walk on water. <laughs> He's, he's got he, telekinetic powers. <laughs> he, he can do it all. Yeah. It's like whatever they needed. Basically, it's one of those type of superhero superpower movies where, you know, they needed something to done for the plot. He could do it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do want to say the music was done by La Bionda, which means the, like, the, it's the female, ver- like, to say, um, in, uh, like, female blonde. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'd never heard of La Bionda before, but... Uh, Got to look up some more disco gold from Labionda for sure. Oh, yeah. um, I think that Corbucci, as much as he did great period pieces in terms of westerns, clearly he didn't have much of an understanding. Ironically, that if he did westerns, what that, you know, really how to design a set to look Native American. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fucking set, you know, because policeman Dave Speed <laughs> is canoeing out to give a ticket to a Native American and it looks like, like he's been dropped in fucking Africa. It's unbelievable, man. He talks about the totem pole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's the worst set dressing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's only a few continents off there with that yeah. one. But and amazingly, nowadays it's like it's like it's almost like uh, politically incorrect production setting. <laughs> it would be by today's standards, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, oh man. Yeah, they put in uh, this is just really throwing over. They put in some seamless Nassau stock footage. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it looks like oh, it's yeah. twenty years too late. It's, but, a, you know, it's Italian it, cinema, brother. It's Italian cinema. Um, I love that uh, you know Helen Borden because they're they're cops, they're partners, and they're in the car together. They kind of banter back and forth, and uh, I love Borgnine when uh, obviously I kind of smiled at the line because they're partners in a car. Helen uh, Borgnine. Yeah, he was looking at that picture of uh, the pinup girl. I guess it must have been Rosie LaBouche. Was that who it was? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I guess uh, Borgnine's character's uh, crush. Yeah, and he, he says uh, she's she's beautiful enough to make Cheryl Ladd and Farrah Fawcett look a couple of plain Janes. Yeah, <laughs> I like. That. I mean, it's a date. It's it obviously dates itself, but it's kind of cute in that it does date itself that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as Hill's stuff is generally broad, I, I kind of I like the moment when. <laughs> When he gets the gum stuck on something, he's trying to pull it, you know, pull it back, and it's just making a fucking mess. Yeah, yeah, he does that stuff well, man. Yeah, and I'd wrote, I'd wrote this down as a note. Uh, we may hear sound clips at some point, but uh, <laughs> super trooper. <laughs> yeah, it's so. <laughs> every time something happens, you know, you just hear like you'll hear that, or you hear just like super. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> pretty great. That yeah, is very good. Um, <laughs> Uh, this was a DVD that I'd had that I, I you know, I, I ripped so I could watch it later. But um, the cop, the, the picture was great, but the sound was a bit muffled uh, at times and a bit quiet. I don't know if yours was as well. Yes, yes, it was. And it was, it was blown out in some spots too. Like I was trying to watch it and keep a baby asleep, and it just, uh, 
It was, it got to be a nightmare in a couple spots. Oh, I hate that. We've talked about that before. <laughs> Interestingly, this might have been the first time that a dummy has been saved from the jaws of death. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene, man, where he, the dummy goes flying out and, uh, you know, and I love that uh, actor, too. He's like, oh, fantastical. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what he yeah, says yeah. there, but it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was pretty great. Um, there's a, a move here that Hill does that I think Maurizio Merrily would have done if he had these superpowers. That's when he did the double punch through the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, <laughs> some, some of the violence borders on, I guess you could say, kind of like Three Stooges type uh, slapstick a little bit. Yeah, Three Stooges, Looney Tunes, kind of. So it, it's it, you kind of got to know what you're getting into a little bit. But if again, if if you're familiar with Terrence Hill or the Terrence Hill Bud Spencer films, or even just Trinity, you'll kind of know what you're in for. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's, um, a, he's always got the fist of... He's like the Ron Garvin, the wrestler, the fist of steel, or whatever his, <laughs> I can't remember what his name, nickname was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ronnie Garvin. Uh, <laughs> the guy that would just... Right. His finishing move was just to punch people. <laughs> or, or he had that one that was even worse. It was literally the worst finishing move in the history of wrestling, where he would stomp around the outside of a guy. <laughs> Yeah. When he was in WWF, man, yeah, I fucking that. lame. Uh, I mean, it was just terrible. Um, <laughs> let's just say there's a moment when Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem, would have been impressed with uh, with uh, Super Snooper here because he catches a bullet with his teeth. Yeah, well, he catches I think four bullets before that with the barrel of his gun. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And then finally tops it off. That's with, got a great uh, payoff uh, because Borknight comes in and is like, as soon as we get back to the base, you're, you're going to the range. You shot, you couldn't even hit him one time. Yeah. Because he couldn't see. He just heard the gunshots and he assumed that yeah. Terrence Hill missed him four or five times. He's yeah, like, no, I know. Super. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this two weeks in a row, we've had an Italo, Florida production. Yeah, yeah. The Italians, they loved coming over to uh, the States and shooting down in Florida, didn't they? Yeah, Ruggiero did with Raiders. I mean, it totally feels like Raiders in spots too. Yeah, with the I suppose yeah, with that setting and that time frame, totally. And the aerial uh, shots. I mean, it just felt like I was like looking for plastic skull everywhere. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> now that would have been an adversary worthy of yeah. uh, Dave Speed. <laughs> yes. Um, I, the, you know, they get that visual gag with the John Wayne poster, which is kind of I guess I, I I I can imagine Hill writing that in. Yeah. Probably. He seemed to like that whole American cowboy look. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rosie LaBouche has some outfits that Satan from L'Infernal Villador would, would have been jealous of. Oh, man, she totally reminded me of that, too, man. Yeah, so pretty weird glamorous. You, said you know, I wouldn't, have known, I wouldn't have noticed that either if it wasn't for the fact that we had just watched that the week before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they really work the Florida locales in this, the Greyhound racetrack, the, uh, the Dolphins Jets game they go to. You know, it's uh, they really kind of work those. Um, and interestingly, James Cameron must have seen this because the the policeman on foot chasing a car thing was done here first. Everyone, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, <clears throat> sped up a little bit, but yes, that's true. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Sal Borghese's in this is one of the the goons. He wears the powder blue jacket. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know he's he's a character actor. Really, I really like it. Like I love him a lot. Actually, in the big racket and. He played um, Fabio Testi's partner in that. Um, uh, I have to say, I think Borgnine is the worst non-believer in the history of cinema. You know, you always get that in these films where the partner just doesn't believe it until a certain point. He doesn't believe it until like three quarters of the way through the film, despite bearing witness to it all. (laughs) He just doesn't want to believe it no matter what. I love that scene where he calls Speed 
and tells him to get down to the station immediately. He wants to talk to him and stuff. And then as soon as he hangs up, the door opens. He's like, see, Chief, this is what I got to put up with. Yeah, yeah. At, yeah, that, at uh, that point, I think I'd be pretty much, you know, convinced that something's going on. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Now, what was going on was the dancing bear known as Ernest Borgnine when he, when he starts cutting the rug on the dance floor. Oh, yeah. The Borgnine. <laughs> the Borgnine, light on his feet. Um, you know what I thought was a... a you pull it out of this film and put it in like a really cool, well-written, darker comic. And I think it would have been an amazing kind of uh, wraparound was at the beginning when Rosie puts those red roses, uh, she gets them delivered to the cell. And then you see the payoff for what that means later on. Uh-huh. That would have been a really cool payoff in the right kind of dark comic setting. Right. You know, but it's 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 obviously played for a lot, you know, it's light harder in this. But um I do think that it to me the villains were lame in this film. Uh-huh. Really old, old like the old, old gangster and this kind of old, washed up uh, starlet. Yeah, that uh, that actor Mark Lawrence. He's uh, he was in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. He's been in a ton of movies. He's actually he was a real life gangster and he somehow ended up in movies quite a bit. Really weird. I didn't yeah, know, but- I didn't actually know he was the ex father in law of Billy Bob Thornton either. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't know that. I just looked at his. Uh, his uh history, but yeah, he was a uh, a true uh, a true actual gangster or quote unquote a criminal. That's yeah, but I just I thought you know they should have had someone a little bit better. I mean, like we said last night, the villain, the hero is only as great as the villain. Yeah, no, yeah, I totally agree with you. He's he's fun because he's and I mean I'm not he's not fun in this movie. I think the reason why they cast him is because you know he had kind of a history and and stuff like that. But uh, and he was in a I think uh, not, I don't know if he's been in another film we did or not. He might have been, but. He's in a lot of these uh, kind of gangster films from the 60s and 70s and stuff, pops up and stuff, but he's not, uh, he's not, he's not a heavy enough actor. No, he's a fucking old man. It's yeah. I mean, he seems like he's been an old man, like his, well, he's dead now, but it seems like he was an old man his whole career. Oh, well, yeah, he did a lot of films, though. Oh, yeah, you know, he's, uh, you've, uh, if you go through his filmography, you'll see a lot of stuff in there. Marathon man, I love that the the sentence that sums him up on his IMDb is swarthy, pock faced actor who has portrayed sinister types throughout his long career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Well, I'm sure uh, he'll I'm sure he'll come up on the show again at some point. Yeah, a lot of stuff in there. Key Largo. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Uh, 217 titles. Wow. Um, oh, he was in the shipping news, man. Interesting. Um, I love, and again, another power that uh, the Dave Speed has is he's like Aquaman. He can talk to the fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, love. I watched that scene and I was just like, oh, man, this this is great, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It totally, it is a kid's movie, man. Totally. And then it's got the best bubblegum bubble in the history of cinema, and I'll say no more. <laughs> that is a pretty impressive bubble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was looking through uh, Mark Lawrence's credits. He did that damn Osmond movie that. Uh, Roops at me that going coconuts the Donnie and Marie Osmond <laughs> film. He's also in uh, Hot Stuff that Jerry Reed Dom DeLuise uh, film uh, that I like. Nice. He's in a lot of films. Yeah, he has done a lot. All right. Um, okay, so I'll go over a few things. Uh, like I said, when I was a kid, this was on cable constantly, and I, I think there's a whole generation of us who uh, experienced this film this way. Uh, I have a real affection for this film that you know kind of blinds me a little. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think that. Being a makeshift critic like we are, we're makeshift critics basically and amateur critics in some ways, um, you know, sometimes you run across a film that you have a hard time judging sometimes by its, you know, and I'm going to try to judge this as much as possible by its actual filmmaking merits and not by the fact that, you know, I'm in love with it, obviously. 
But uh, this is one of those ones that's going to be kind of tricky for me because I am in love with this movie. And I even said when you posted the thing on Facebook, like, look, I love this movie. It's not really that good, but I love it. And uh, I have no reasoning for it other than the fact that it just saw it so much and it just it just meant a lot to me. And it's one of those few moments where nostalgia really takes me back. And when I was watching it, I was just kind of smiling because I remember me and my brother would, you know, we would do that kind of stuff. We would do something pretty awesome in the yard, like a flip or something, and one of us would be like, Supa! <laughs> super, 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 yeah. <laughs> nice. So, you know, we just had a lot of fun with it and stuff. So I'll, I'll try to be as fair as I can be about it. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard God referred to as honky number one in a film before. <laughs> that scene where he's eating the beans, he's like, hey, you on your way to see honky number one. <laughs> I was like, wow, honky number one. <laughs> Never heard that before. <laughs> Uh, we talked about Borgnine and Terrence Hill. I mean, at this point, if you don't really know who these are, I mean, Terrence Hill will be on the show. Actually, both of those actors will be on the show going forward quite a bit. I mean, yeah, they pop up in, in so much cinema that we like. So I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk about these guys. I actually saw a Corbucci uh, Hill uh, Spencer film in his filmography I've never seen called uh, A Friend is a Treasure. I got to see that. 1981. Never even heard of it. Yeah. It's like uh, him and Spencer on an island looking for lost treasure. So they made a lot of a lot of the the thing about the Terrence Hill Bud Spencer films is they are a very they're very lighthearted comedies. Uh yeah. there's guns in them and stuff and gangsters and bad guys and stuff, but it's not they're not, you know, like Italian cinema violence. Uh I don't uh, I watched that one uh oh, what was that one I watched a couple months ago? It seems like I can't remember all the way boys. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of laughed about the title. Uh, but that one was the same way. They were they were a couple pilots in that one, and they kind of you know were with some gangsters and stuff. And but it was a very lighthearted film, and and uh, a lot of Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer stuff. There's a lot of scenes where they you know they're helping kids and stuff like that. So they're kind of like the uh, both of them are kind of like the uh, you know the happy go lucky stars of Italian cinema. And so it's really nice to kind of do that kind of stuff sometimes and watch these kind of films for the show because we watch so much Italian cinema that gets pretty sleazy and uh, can be pretty violent sometimes. It's kind of fun to realize that you know they made they made a lot of other films too. It's just you know some people don't know about them or some people just don't pursue them. Of course, you end up with a uh, why not why not put elephants in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to show off a superpower, surely you'd use elephants. That's what I would do. I mean, it's like, hang on, chief, uh, or Sarge, Sarge, hang on, Sarge. Yeah, yeah, that's the way he sounds when he talks. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I forgot how wacky ass his superpower was. I said this a little bit when you're part of the review, but they're just—it's just like they're so wacky. It's like you know, he he parallel parks a truck. He. Uh, he looks through other stuff. I mean, he just, it's just his powers are so wacky. And uh, I don't know if you said that or not, I can't remember, but, you know, I don't think it's a, pl- a major spoiler to give away, but his weakness is red. I think I said that earlier, too. So they, they find ways to work red into stuff that uh, is pretty interesting. And it's, it's a very bright red, too. Oh, yeah. And the red has a great payoff at the end of the film, so. Which, I, I actually think that's a really cute, sweet payoff. I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, and it, it has the great Terrence Hill moment where, you know, he looks at the camera. Yeah, yeah. Because Terrence Hill's, you know, he's got this charm, you know, and he, he's one of those kind of guys that can break that fourth wall and you just kind of smile. Like Burt Reynolds. So that's why I think it was a great comparison you had to Burt Reynolds. Because Burt Reynolds is one of those kind of guys like in uh, some films where he just, you know, he looks at the camera and just smiles and chews gum and you're like, oh, yeah, it's Burt, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he can get away with that kind of shit. Like uh, one of the great examples recently was uh, Kurt Russell in Death Proof. You remember how he looked yeah. at the camera and just kind of threw the cigarette away and you're like, fuck yeah, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so um, it seems like they always find a way to put uh, Hill in a cowboy hat, 
And again, that's another one of those superpower scenes. It's really odd. It's like, uh, let's have Terrence Hill in a gigantic football stadium full of people, and now let's have him make it empty. <laughs> it's like, what? what why? <laughs> I know. And you can hear me still, right? Yeah, I can still hear you, yes. And uh, it's just really bizarre the way that they decided to do that. But hey, you know, it was a choice. But I like that scene. I like that they shot it from a distance and you get to see actual Terrence Hill running through the crowd. And of course, nobody knows he's probably nobody in the thing knows he's a big actor because he was pretty popular. Or no one here. cares. Yeah, he was pretty popular here. But uh, I don't think I don't know if he ever really got huge in the States. I know he was he's pretty popular, but I don't know if he ever got huge. Uh, I call him the original moonwalker. He's walking on water, man. There's one scene where he's walking forward. It looks like he's doing some moonwalking there, brother. Oh, yeah. You're right. It's uh, <laughs> pretty great. Got a little bit of bounce in his step. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty funny. And again, they use the red well because she comes out in a red uh, suit. Yes. It's like, super, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, you get the fight scenes that Terrence Hill's known for. Uh, undercranked, or overcranked, I should say. Or maybe undercranked. I don't know what the right word is. Either way, it's cranked. And, uh, you know, they're fast. They're, they're very silly. Terrence Hill was never the most graceful action star when it came to the choreography of his fight scenes. But, his, he, you know, he had, like I said, he had the fist of steel. He's, he's always a lot of fun. He had the smile. He would use weapons. And this one he uses those kind of aluminum suitcases at one point, yeah. which was fun. And, uh, you know, I just I, I've always enjoyed I mean, I've always enjoyed, And, of course, when I was a kid, that stuff, you know, that stuff goes over really well when you're a kid. Those kind of fight oh, scenes. Totally. Yeah, it goes over really, really well. Now, as, as an older man, obviously, you know, I kind of laugh at it and kind of smirk and stuff my way through it. But as a kid, man, me and my brother, we just had so much fun watching these fight scenes. It was so much fun. Um, and then, of course, the only other note I got, man, is that, you know, he does talk to Fish, and that makes him a superhero in so many regards. There's so many great moments in this film for me. Um, I just, I, I enjoy the movie so much. I mean, it is definitely going to be a film I'm going to show my son at some point, and hopefully he'll have a good time with it and stuff. And uh, I would say you're probably right about the age. About seven to eight, I think, is about the right age and stuff. I'd like to hear uh, KK and Doc talk about this one. That'd be interesting. Totally thought of that when I watched it, and I forgot to mention it. Because it would be interesting to, you know, KK do a little Italian cinema. I mean, I, I think that, you know, obviously some of it wouldn't go over well because modern cinema is totally different than Italian cinema was back in the late 70s, early 80s, but... It would still be interesting to see if young children still get a kick out of this movie like me and my brother did for so long. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, and, but, in, but hey, Terrence Hill is a big reason why they ended up getting their show off the ground. Yeah, yeah. You know, I forgot about that. That's right. The old Trinity and stuff. And, uh, you know, we got to get back. Like we've talked about, we got to do more Hill and Spencer on the show. We don't do enough of it, actually. So it's kind of fun to go back and do these films every now and then, especially after we do some really heavy stuff. Cause we do some pretty heavy stuff on the show sometimes. And last week we did some really sleazy stuff. So it was really nice to kind of cleanse the palate, so to speak this week. Yeah. <laughs> it was really nice actually to kind of sit down and watch something that for me, it was something that I had already experienced so many times that, uh, I knew what I was in for, but even if I'd hadn't experienced it, this would have been a really nice palate cleanser for, uh, the type of cinema we, we watch. So, uh, that's pretty much it, man. I mean, I, I don't really know. I could gush over this film for hours, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to go on forever. But uh, let's hear your MVTs and make or breaks. All right. So my what made it for me was just the goofy superpower scenes. Like you said, they are a catch-all for whatever they needed to have happen. Like, <laughs> you know, we had we had access to a couple of uh, circus elephants. Um, <laughs> you know, the football stadium we had access to. So we'll, and we'll, you know, we'll shoot a moment where before it, it fills up where we're just there by ourselves and you know, a lot of that stuff, but it's fun, rompy, kind of good-spirited, clean fun. Um, and I really liked it. You know, I was um, thinking about that, that football scene. Doesn't She doesn't believe in the superpowers either at first, does she? 
No, man. And I mean, at this point, you know, one or two of those things should have made her a believer. But I guess it ran in the family. Yeah, I guess so. Because, I mean, if I'm sitting in a stadium full of 60,000 people and then all of a sudden they're all gone, I'm going to think somebody's got something going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally, man. <laughs> um, MVT is, is an obvious one. Uh, it's, of course, Hill. You know, it's his film. Uh, it's his vehicle. And it is very much a Hill vehicle. It's It's, you know, the kind of stuff that you'd said he was known for and... He really was his bread and butter through the uh, late seventies into the probably the late eighties. Even he worked later than most Italian direct uh, actors did. Yep. Um, my score for the film is a six point two five. Okay. Seems a bit low, I, I know, but I'll put it to you this way: kids' movies don't really appeal to me anymore, right? Because I'm not a child, except for the ones that I had fondness for as a child, right? Um, and yet, I was still very charmed by this. And even if I didn't have children, that I'm going, I'm going to show this to my sons. I think that says enough. But even if I didn't have children, I would still revisit this because it's a fun, good-natured film. Yeah, and it's not real long and stuff, and it moves along at a pretty good pace. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not Corbucci's best work, but it is uh, just oh. kind of a fun film. You're almost spot. On. Me and you are almost spot on completely on this one. Uh, my make or break is the power scenes. Actually, we we're pretty close to being dead centered on on the target with this thing completely. Uh, the power scenes, I love those scenes. Uh, my MVT is Hill, and my score is just a little bit higher. It's 6.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. So, uh, and probably that .5, that .25 is probably just a general love for the film and stuff. But, you know, I have to review it as a film and stuff, and it is a little little slapdash, a little sloppy in spots. Uh, actually, a lot sloppy in some spots, but, you know, it's, it's fun, it, and it, it is a great kids' film. I can't recommend this film enough for people who want to, you know, kind of turn their kids on to, like, Italian genre cinema. This is a good... Kind of like like Trinity is. It's kind of a good uh, kind of a door opener, I guess, an introduction before you get to like stuff like crap prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> you know, keep it lighthearted. Stick with the uh, you know if you're going to do the cannibal films, do 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 the the cannibal film. You know, exactly. Don't waste your time with that other stuff. Although Cannibal Ferox works pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm being I'm being facetious actually so but no I, I really love this movie i'm glad we did it we don't we don't do enough comedies on here comedies are tricky to do and 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 i have to agree with will you know the older i get the harder it is to get into comedy because comedy is it's nothing wrong with comedy it's just it's a generational thing and that's just the way it is and uh because it's generational sometimes you feel like you're out of the loop or you just you've moved on from that kind of kind of humor so right that's just the way that kind of stuff goes and you tend to with comedies i think you tend to love the stuff you thought was funny when you were younger Yes, uh, like I love the uh, the sex comedies of the '80s, and you go back and watch them now, and those films are fucking awful. But uh, some of them are really fucking bad. But uh, you still, you know, I still have a fondness for them, and this is one of those type of movies. This is not a sex comedy, obviously, but this is one of those type of movies that I just love from my youth. So, all right, so that is our thoughts on Super Fuzz, also known as Super Snooper. We'll uh, take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about a film that uh, is a little different than this, like we say. Uh, but it's similar in some ways. Uh, we'll talk about Vim Vendors, Paris, Texas. So we'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Frank. And we are from the Are You Serious podcast, and we are here with... Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. I think that's awesome, but I also think that I could do the same thing. What are you talking about? It's just great to have you here and to be able to talk to you, even with all the stuff I've said. Don't shoot it. So I guess just to let people know, we, we cover movies, video games, and we talk about politics, TV, and uh, people who bother us. Basically, we just skewer pop culture in general. I got a bad feeling about this. I think the show's awesome. You should think it's awesome, too. Don't get excited. Frank can get a little full of himself sometimes. I know. The Are You Serious Podcast is available on iTunes and at areyouseriouspodcast.com. 
right, we are back from break. A little Billy Squire action there. Nice. <laughs> nice. I didn't even, I forgot I even put that in there. I made those breaks like right after we got done with the live show last night. I was like trying to get through them so quick. I was like, the faster I get through these, the faster I get to go to sleep. Oh, I know, man. I know. <laughs> do you ever do that where you're trying to go to sleep so fast? And then, of course, immediately when you wake, lay down because you're so pumped trying to get to go to bed, you can't fall asleep because you're just like, you got your fucking adrenaline going. Well, I made the mistake last night of drinking a tea and keeping the bag in all night Ooh. as we were doing the show. Yeah. So by the time I was done, yeah, it was. Yeah, I didn't go to sleep right away. All right. So our next film is Paris, Texas. You picked this for the show. Let's uh, get a synopsis from your stuff, and we'll start talking about it. Yes, this is our second Vendors film. Uh, it should be said we did uh, an American Friend uh, back in the Hopper tribute episode. Yep. Uh, 1984. This film came out. Um, and uh, the synopsis is as follows. A man wanders out of the desert, not knowing who he is. His brother finds him and helps him to pull his memory back of the life he led before. He walked out on his wife and son four years before. And I think that's kind of where I'll leave it. Um, so I'd picked this film. I had not seen it before. It was a real big void in what I felt like my, my cinematic um, education. You had seen it before. Uh, what did you think this time? Uh, it was great to revisit this film. Uh, I went through a Vim Vendor's... Uh thing when I was a younger a younger film fan. I, I love Wings of Desire obviously. I've said it before on the show. Don't know if I, Yeah, I'm pretty positive I've said it before. Yes. And uh, I just love his filmmaking technique. It's very subtle and very quiet and oddly enough he's one of the most Amer- American American. American. Uh, that's the uh, the modern technology version of Americans. <laughs> we're, we're E-Americans. Yeah. Um, uh, he's one of the most Americana influenced directors. I mean like he's like to me he's almost like the Norman Rockwell of uh, filmmakers in some ways. I mean, he gets it so right sometimes, and it's really odd because, you know, of course, he's not American. Yes. But, you know, he's in love with the landscapes and, and the road movie, which he loves the road movie and uh, stuff like that, and and he really, really fucking pulls that kind of stuff off really well. Now, this film was... I had forgotten revisiting it. I haven't seen this film in like 10 years. And uh, revisiting it, I forgot how long it was. Actually, I forgot it was like two hours and 20-something minutes long, so... At first, I was like, "Oh man, we just watched a ninety-minute. I just watched a ninety-minute goofy cop movie. Now I'm going to watch a two-hour and twenty-minute Vim Vendors film." Uh, yeah. But this never feels like two hours and twenty minutes to me. This no. uh, this thing moves along at a pretty good clip and a pretty good pace. Um, it's filled with character actors, uh, which is another great thing, and it feels like a '70s film because of that. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton is your uh, star. Uh, most people that listen to the show obviously are going to know who he is, and then uh, Dean Stockwell's in there. Of course, and uh, there's a few other odds and ends. Nastasia Nastasia Kinski, you guys may know. <laughs> so now we greatly we've had. I don't know why I said greatly. It didn't really make sense. But now the interesting thing is we've had both Kinski father and daughter on the show. Yeah, yeah. And I've always had a thing for Nastasia Kinski. Do you think she's attractive? Absolutely, man. Okay. I mean, she looks a little bit like her father. That sounds bizarre to say, but, yeah. but she is very attractive, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to wonder, you know, if you were... Let's just say, you know, not to be piggish, I'm being honest here. If you were making love to Nastasia Kinski and you looked down and you started to see these images of Klaus, would you oh. would you be able to? <laughs> I close, I do it any guy. I close my eyes and try not to think about it, man. No, but, you know, I, I think that a lot of times I've seen really harsh looking men make beautiful daughters who somehow look like them but are still beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. She's she's a very talent. She's an interesting talent too. But yeah, she is uh, she's she's very attractive and uh I liked her in this film a lot. I mean, I like the blonde kind of bob hairdo she had at uh, one point in the film. Really. Oh yeah. Really worked for me. Uh but yeah, so it's full of character actors and stuff and it's 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 interesting in that way because 
you know, this film feels like almost like an epic in some ways. It, he shoots the the scenes with uh, Harry Dean Stanton walking, and he shoots them like uh, like you would a like a like a western basically. And uh, you know, it's really great because you can see Harry Dean Stanton wearing this red hat, this red ball cap in the background and stuff. And uh, I really love those scenes so much. I mean, he really shoots landscapes uh, so well. Vim Vendors does, and and this is just another great example of uh, him doing that. Uh, the film doesn't really, it's not really easy to kind of grasp what's going on at first. Uh, it really does take its time and kind of like its prologue and its setup. Uh, and then it kind of turns in more into like a, uh, well, like a family drama, sort of. Um, yeah, I'd say yeah, a family drama. I'd, I'd say that's fair. Yeah. But it kind of, it kind of starts like a, uh, almost, it almost feels metaphysical in some kind of weird way. Yeah, no, I'd say it does as well. I think it's especially because of the soul searching that Stanton does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's got those moments now. We have had we have seen a lot of members only jackets on this show, <laughs> but I don't I don't think I've ever seen one that is colored uh, like a peach. Peach, <laughs> I, brother, I got it written down, man. Stockwell is a fashion plate in this. He wears a peach members only jacket and an airbrushed yellow trucker's hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's just so weird. I saw that jacket and I was like, that that can't be a members only jacket. I've never seen one that color before. And sure enough, oh. that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that is fantastic. I've never seen one of those. Now I, it has to go into my collection. I got to find one. You do. <laughs> <laughs> this looks so great. Um, uh, the film is uh, it's gorgeous to look at, and you can stream this thing HD off of Netflix right now. Uh, the Criterion uh, Collection uh, print is on uh, Netflix. Since to watch, at least it is here. I don't know if it is up there. Mm, I haven't looked actually. Yeah, so uh, you know, I don't actually own the film, which is odd because I actually like the film quite a bit, but I actually don't own the film and. I was like, eh, I think this is on. It was on Netflix Instant Watch when you put it on the roadmap, and sure enough, it's still there. And uh, yeah, I really liked uh, the, the HD streaming worked really, really well. And this film looks great in HD because it's got those great landscapes and uh, blown open shots and stuff. And then the interesting thing about the film, and I think he does it on purpose, is he he op- he sh- the film is is wide open in the beginning, right? You get your wide open spaces, the big Texas sky, uh, hills and mountaintops and uh, empty roads, which is all this stuff's very Americana, right? And then as, as the film progresses, it gets more and more cramped. Yeah. To the point to where at some point, at some point you got two people basically in a peeking booth. I think we can say that. It's not giving anything away. And a peekaboo booth, I guess you can call it. What are those things called? Do peep, you know? Peep show? Yeah, peep shows. There you go. I totally forgot about my past. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't the one looking. I was the one working behind the glass. <laughs> <laughs> Putting uh, pressed ham on the glass, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I like that scene where Stockwell says, uh, hey, uh, Travis, where'd you find the beard? <laughs> oh, I love that. I actually wrote down the line, what does he say? Um, yeah, where'd you find that beard? It's pretty snazzy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, he shaves it off and he keeps the stash, which is really great. Yeah, I think Harry Dean Stanton has looked the same like almost his whole career. <laughs> He's the Dick Clark of, of Zen character actors. The guy, the guy is old school, too. I mean, I, he's from Kentucky, uh, from the eastern part of Kentucky, and also he... Uh, he still, to this day, not only does he still wear uh, members-only jackets, because I've seen him in interviews where he's wearing a members-only jacket, <laughs> off, off set, not on set, uh, but he still, to this day, smokes like a fucking freight train. Oh, yeah. He's, he's an interesting dude, man. The older he gets, I saw him in an interview, I think it was like the, I don't know, the 20th anniversary of Repo Man or something like that. Um, he did like a, a they, they I did an interview, it was on the DVD, I have the DVD <laughs> And it's it's so great to see him get interviewed because he's like answering everything with like this fucking zen like questioning slash crotchety old man 
kind of answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. He's he's pretty point blank. <laughs> so, oh yeah, um, I really enjoyed the interaction between you know talking about that that beard uh, scene and everything. I really like the Stockwell and Stanton. You wouldn't think that Dean Stockwell and and Harry Dean Stanton would be so great together because they're kind of they're, they're kind of interesting character actors on their own. Well, they're great character actors, and I think it was a, a masterstroke to cast them because I think in some ways they remind me of brothers a little bit. They're both very wiry. They both have a lot of lines etched in their face, the dark hair, the dark intense, if sleepy eyes. Um, I've always liked Stockwell, man. It's like, he's like the poor man's Harry Dean Stanton in some (laughs) ways, man. Like he doesn't get quite enough love. Like, you know, born losers. I think it was, uh, Harry Jaglum's Henry Jaglum's tracks. He was fucking great in Yeah, he's good. Uh, this blue velvet, of course. Um, he's sort of like the more chatty, um, snappy brother of the two but i think they were a great fucking casting with those two man yeah 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 97 episodes of quantum leap don't forget that that's where i first saw stockwell man he'll always be uh, i was gonna say ziggy but that was there uh what was his name sam no yeah. no was it sam? no that was uh bacula um i'm going around the world here to get to the answer anyway he wore the glitter fucking dinner jacket <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can pull that off. I, I don't know very many people that can pull that off. Only like people like Elvis Presley can pull yeah. that off. <laughs> Seriously, but uh, yeah, no, he's been in a lot of good stuff. And uh, even to pull it back to our first review, or when we were talking about Kenny Rogers, he was even in the Gambler Part Three. There you go, man. So, so you know, <laughs> but he is a he's a master uh, check cashier as well himself. And uh, you know, he's never met work he didn't like. He was even in that new Battlestar Galactica. I remember he popped up in that. But uh, he's very much great. Um, yeah, but I really loved their interaction, and I was actually, you know, when we watched the film again, I was actually kind of worried. I forgot that, you know, at some point that they they break off from each other, and I thought, you know, that's going to kind of stink. But then, of course, you know, Harry Dean Stanton's so great with the kid, too. Oh, yeah. And he's kind of point blank. I mean, he's not going to be father of the year. He's, you know, he's done some things. His character isn't exactly the most likable guy. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, Vendors kind of somehow <laughs> makes him out to be, you know, a flawed guy. Do you hear but, me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry, it just got really quiet, man. It's yeah. one of those fucking episodes. He's a, he's a flawed guy, and uh, you know he's got some issues, and he's got some problems, and he admits to some of these problems later on in the film, and I'm not going to get into them because it might give us some plot points away, but he admits to some of these problems in the past. You know, and, and you know, people run into issues, right? People have regrets. People people do things they don't understand why they do them sometimes. It's as simple as that, and uh, nobody's perfect. And uh, it, it, I I like I like those scenes, and I, I like the scenes with him kind of reattaching with his son. Uh, my favorite scene in the film, which you'll hear me talk about to make a break more, is the uh, scene where uh, Harry Dean Stanton wears the uh, the hat and the suit, and is taught how to uh, walk with pride and uh, stuff. Yeah. And then he kind of bumbles the hat around a little bit and has some fun walking with his son all the way home. But they walk on opposite sides of the streets, which is is visually very striking and pretty great. The way uh, it, Vendor shoots that, and it's emotionally striking. And I think you, you touched on. I didn't want to interrupt you, but. I think in this film we can see that Stanton's character is is very much a deeply flawed and deeply troubled man. He's very human, yes. and I think that's what I liked about him. He 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 has this knack, you know. You see it also in uh, what is it? Sixteen Candles or Pretty in Pink? You know, uh, the the sweet kind of broken man. And I think you see that in this. There's times where you know he's he's a little bit insane, but he's also sweet and. He, he loves very much, loves his, his uh, son. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that, that scene was, there's a lot of fantastic scenes with with, uh, with him and the boy. And, uh, yeah, really good stuff, man. Yeah, and uh, he's got that, well, I think what you're looking for is that kind of like hangdog face kind of yes. look. 
that you know he always he can he can play that character so well that you know it's pretty great. So yeah, no, those scenes with him and his son are really great. Uh, I found also there's a scene in there the first time around. I kind of jumped ahead there, but the first time around, I really felt bad for his character. Uh, in that way, you do feel bad for a character when he's trying to do something right. But his son's not really ready to to cross that into that world of trust again. Yep. And uh, there's kind of like a heartbreaking moment where you know he gets in the car with one of his friends, and uh, you know you see Harry Dean Stanton's face of you know heartbreak, but also at the same time you can see in his face that you know he he feels like he kind of deserves that because he never really harps on it or anything and gets upset about it. So he kind of knows that he, in a way he kind of deserved that kind of treatment. You know, had to kind of rebuild that trust. And with kids, that's the way it is, right? I mean, once a kid distrusts you, it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. Because kids are very black and white. Unlike human beings, we kind of understand people are flawed, people make mistakes and stuff, but kids don't understand that so much. They think mom and dad are perfect and, you know, those kinds of things. So when you really fuck something up, you know, they're kind of wary to to kind of, you know, cross that threshold with you again a little bit. Oh, totally. So, you know, I kind of like that moment. And I think that Harry Dean Stanton understands that and his character understands that. The film's got, and those kind of touches are like, to me, those are like the European touches that he brings to the Americana part of the movie. You know, there's there's moments in here where an American director would have handled it, handled it, I think, a little like a little hammy, like they probably would have had that scene happen, and then Stanton would have walked away with his face hanging down, mm-hmm. and been sad, and they would have played like a little sad ballad or something. But you know, in this film, they they just kind of give you that moment, you understand what happens, and you move on. So I really like that and stuff. And we should also say the score to this film is pretty great. The I think it's Rock Hooter, I believe. Oh, it is fucking. Perfect. Yeah, it's got that slide Perfect. guitar and stuff. It's really great. Um, I've always thought, and 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 with saying that, I've always thought the the secret power of the film is the score. I mean, it really kind of gives it a great feel. It's a film about broken hearts and mistakes, and, and no matter what our intentions, you know, we all make mistakes. I mean, I think I think we all can say, you know, I would never do this, I would never do that, and I would never do this. And there's certain things, obviously, that we know we would never do, but you never know what life's going to throw at you sometimes, and uh, you know. And how you handle situations really kind of tells you what kind of a character you are and what kind of character you have. And uh, I think Stanton's, he, he's kind of like a, in my opinion, he's kind of like a midlife crisis kind of guy. He kind of gets lost. Because, I mean, there's this whole thing with the Paris, Texas thing. The reason why it's talking about that is he bought some land in Paris, Texas. Uh, his mom told him that he was conceived there, or maybe, or maybe he was conceived there. So for some strange reason, he feels like he's got to go on this journey by foot, which is really crazy. To this area that he bought and stuff, and he had these dreams for this land that he was going to use it and and all this stuff. And I don't want to get too far into it, but I think that you know, saying all that and stuff, he, he, you know, he's he's kind of like at a midlife crisis point in his life, and he didn't know how to handle the responsibility of a child. And then, of course, his personal demons cost him some issues with uh, Kinski. So, I, I think something that this film does a lot too is there's several moments in the film where we can see people trying to chase that unicorn or chase that ghost through pictures and home movies. People are trying to recapture that moment or, or, or almost wistful and lament, you know, because you're always trying to catch lightning in a bottle in terms of that perfect moment. And you look back on it kind of wistfully and, and, you know, uh, you see that a few times in the film. And I think it's people chasing that, that happiness, uh, throughout the film, um, you can kind of see it. I think that's part of the reasons he keeps that picture uh-huh. uh, on him, right? It, it's it's that that elusive um, 
thing that, that a lot of people search for. Right, and he's an introspective person, and uh, you know you can tell he's kind of socially awkward in some ways and stuff. And and then and by saying that, my last note here is you know they really the, you know the second my second favorite scene in the film is is toward the end. He he turns away to talk to a character, and the reason why he turns away is because it's just it's almost too painful for him to watch the reaction mm-hmm. that he's going to get. And and really, in some ways, for the audience, it's almost too painful for us. And uh, I really like that moment that, you know, he turns away to make these confessions and, and admit to past mistakes and stuff. Because admitting you make mistakes, really, in my, in my opinion, is a real true sign of maturity. It's the yes. real moment when you become an adult. Okay? Because, I mean, we were all young. I mean, come on. Will, was, was you ever wrong when you were young? Because I don't Absolutely know. Absolutely not. I never was either. So, <laughs> so I don't know anybody that's when they're young was ever wrong. But... I love when in characters in films and in stories come to a conclusion that they've you know made mistakes, and it's really the moment where you stop being, in my opinion, it's really the moment where you stop being a child sometimes, or stop being a immature person, maybe not a child, and you you really realize that you know it you, you're 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 a human being, you make mistakes, you're you're an adult, you got to own up to that, and, you know. So I really like that moment. I mean, I think it's some great acting, and it's great, it's great fucking dialogue. And Kinski's fucking fantastic in that scene, by the way. So. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. But that's uh, all my notes. I'm gonna check on a baby while you uh, start talking about it, if you don't mind. I would be more than happy to. All right. Just let me know when you come back. I will. Um. So give me one second here. Okay. So yeah, uh, I'm really glad I saw this film. Full disclosure. Um. I you know absolutely fucking love this film. You say we got to talk about it with. The whole Norman Rockwell thing and how this film feels very American despite it being a very European filmmaker. And I think sometimes what European filmmakers get right when they make films and they do feel very American is the iconography, uh, be it obvious iconography and sometimes less obvious iconography. Um, Inventors is certainly no uh, different in terms of that. He's, you know, with the films I've seen of him, which is I think two or three films now, um, which will keep getting, uh, of course, remedied as we go. Or as I go, um, you know, fucking just fantastic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you said we talked about the opening on this incredible landscape, and you kind of see Stanton in this dirty suit and this red baseball cap, and that right cooter score kicks in, um, and it's just a breathtaking thing. And and I never really had put two and two together as Sammy had said about how it starts out real wide and it kind of narrows down into the almost like this. It doesn't ever feel claustrophobic, but it feels more intimate and more focused and less lost and adrift at sea, um, which is certainly uh, intentional uh, in terms of uh, uh, what Vendors does uh, and is doing in terms of the emotional um, subject of the film uh, and the emotional state of of Stanton's character. Um, So, yeah, uh, I mean, early on, you know, especially, I think that uh, before we get into the more interiors of of buildings and so forth, uh, Vendors has every frame it just seems like a painting almost um the skyline seems to kind of loom over almost everything uh you, you know you don't know where the sky ends and the earth begins and and he kind of goes through the whole thing of like these purpley kind of orange nights and these orangish gray evening skies and the powder blue daytime skies and they just seem never ending and and again i think now when i think about that what sammy had said about uh getting smaller and smaller in terms of spaces and more intimate um, just how how wide the landscape feels um, 
And I think, yeah, it does a really great job conveying kind of the size and isolation at times of Texas with these beautiful wide vistas. And, and again, that, that's sort of a double thing, as I said, because it's not just Texas, but it's also the emotional state of our, our, our central character. Um, there's a great... Uh, well, what happens, basically, yeah, I don't know if we've kind of out and said it or not, but Stanton's character's gone missing for four years, and his brother, he, uh, someone finds him, uh, and uh, his brother Stockwell goes to go get him. And there is a fucking fantastic short scene at the diner when, because uh, for the first little while, Stanton's still very shell shocked when Stockwell finds him, and uh, there's this great fucking scene when when he finally starts to talk, and Stanton and Stockwell are talking, and you get kind of the sad regret uh, with Stanton when he's talking, and and Stockwell in what really feels like true to form as far as a brother would go is kind of gently imploring him to kind of open up and talk about what he's talking about, and really what's happened here is because he just disappeared. Him and the wife both just disappeared. Um, the son was left. Their son uh, was left with Stockwell and his wife. And they, without even thinking about it, took the boy and raised him as their own. And uh, Stockwell says to Stanton, he... No, no. Fuck, here, yeah, I'm getting it backwards now. Way to go. Uh, Stanton says to Stockwell in response to uh, him being told he's been gone for four years, he says, is four years a long time? And Stockwell says, it is for a little boy. You know, basically, he's been gone for over half his son's life. And his son now, he's become at best a foggy memory because I think he was two years old when the boy left. And now he's, I don't know, six or seven or eight. So I, I thought it was a really poignant line. And, and it, it really spoke a lot uh, to me personally. And I think, you know, the, what's great about this film is it, it, it works really well emotionally because I brought a lot of my own stuff to this film and I think you can't help but do that sometimes when you get a great film like this um, and then when, when Stockwell does finally get, or Stanton does finally get back um, what a you know, unfortunately very awkward situation that, that is that everyone's kind of thrust into you know, the real father's there but then the fill-in father who's been there for the past four, four years is there with the fill-in mother and you know, it's just a very awkward emotional situation. And as much as that stuff, you kind of look through through your fingers when you're watching that stuff on film. It's done really well here. And I like that at least early on, Stockwell's wife, who's essentially the fill-in mother, and they never they thought that you know uh, Stanton and his wife were gone for good. Um, I like that at least early on, she's accepting of the fact and. And more often than not, immediately when you'd find this in a film, that character, the female character, would be very disapproving and would be cold to the situation. But she's receptive to trying to help heal Stanton uh, to a large degree. You know, we talked about some of the, the landscape shots early on uh, in the film. One of the last ones that is kind of symbolic of, of the emotional makeup of where we're at in the film is, and it doesn't seem kind of hammy as you'd think it would, uh, there's this really stunning shot of kind of the gray clouds looming over the town which I think is really symbolic when things to the wheels start to turn. And this never gets to the point of screaming and histrionics and, and really blown out kind of melodrama. It never, it, it never becomes that. But you can kind of tell that the wheels are turning emotionally here and things are going to start shaking out um, pretty soon. All right, I'm back. Oh, thank God, man. I was so worried that I was talking and it wasn't picking it up. No, you're good. It's recorded everything. I do want to go back to a note I'd said because I, I felt like it was a scene that I wanted to bounce off you. This this film really is filled with a lot of great scenes, but um, that fucking scene, it's a small scene, and there's a lot of great small scenes in this. 
But that fucking scene when Stanton and Stockwell are at the diner. Yeah. Oh, and then and, and he says, well, you've been gone for four years, uh, Travis. And he says, is four years a long time? And then Stockwell says, it is for a little boy. Yeah. It's yeah. it just really, really poignant stuff. It's true, though. It's true. I mean, four years is a long time for a boy. Like, four years for me, we've been doing the show for our, uh, two and a half years almost. Mm-hmm. And that's gone by like a fucking blur. <laughs> it has. But, it know, has, but but to a boy who's what seven years old or whatever, that's more than half his life. Yeah, yeah. And there's a great line in there where they say that. So yeah, I just and I was basically just talking about, um, kind of touching on the landscape stuff a little bit again, and and how the you know the sky, the purples and the oranges, and I hadn't really put two and two together that um, as the film went on, it didn't get more claustrophobic, but it got more intimate. Yes, yeah. What it really became, but but I love that the landscape shots and stuff, and how it is kind of. You know, some a man who's emotionally kind of lost at sea, and he's kind of finding himself. And I liked that. I was also just saying that I liked that Stockwell's wife, at least early on, was accepting of bringing Stanton back into it, into the fold, and healing him. Yeah. A lot of times, that character would be like a you know a cold harpy right from right from the the moment he got back in the door. Yeah, there's a real affection there. As a matter of fact, she's so affectionate, you almost feel like at one point you almost feel like there's going to be an affair. <laughs> Oh, you, I never got that vibe. Maybe I don't know. Maybe she's very European. Just, I just kind of <laughs> just that one moment where she's kind of slowly walking back and she's taking the apron off as she's going back in the house. Oh, maybe I didn't see that then. I don't know. Maybe I was. Uh, I'm not I saying, know, maybe I was. Maybe maybe that's what I wanted to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see any Stanton ass or clackers, man. <laughs> oh man! Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, um, what's this say? Uh, Oh, you know, another great, great, great scene, and the lead up to it, which seems kind of throwaway, but I think is is great in terms of establishing the um, the emotional charity that both characters have coming from a different place. Is they're trying to heal Travis and get him back to to recalling what he had and what he was as a man, as a father, as everything. And they don't really know where this is going to take them. And the film does feel terribly emotionally awkward at this point because we're on unsure footing with him back in the picture. The, the, the family dynamic has been disrupted. Yes. yes. Um, and Stockwell says to, to Stanton's character, hey, I got all these, these Super 8 films we shot when we all went on vacation. I, I'd love to show you. And the wife says to Stockwell, she kind of interrupts and she says, well, maybe he wants to wait. And I can see the logic in what both of them said. Stockwell wants to heal him, and yet the wife thinks, you know, maybe he's not ready for all this. It's going to be too overwhelming. And both of them came from, I think, uh, a, like a, from they both had good motives in terms of saying what they were saying. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it, and then, it felt like a real scene. Like, it seems like a scene, a moment at a dinner table where... You know, that kind of conversation would take place. Like one character would say, look, you know, maybe you want to see these. And another character would say, well, hon, you know, maybe maybe he's not ready for that, you know. Oh, so yeah. It felt very real. It absolutely did. Um, and then you see the footage. Mm-hmm. And it's just heartbreaking because it's what was. And then we can kind of see it goes. It, it cuts between a few people here, primarily Travis and the boy and, and the screen. And it's what was, what could have been. And in Travis's eyes, what should have been. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Again, I mean, to me, it's just very, very powerful stuff. And like I said, it's that thing of when we go back, we almost look wistfully at our, our pictures and our movies and stuff and, and see that that stuff. And, you know, it's like that thing you can never go back to a degree. And, and I just I really love that. Um, and again, that, that Ry Cooter score, man, I mean, it never hits a fucking wrong note, whether, you know, emotionally or otherwise. It's just it's utterly fantastic. 
Um, I would love to pick it up. Actually, I'm going to look for it uh, yeah, on DVD. Yeah. Uh, DVD. Um, <laughs> on, uh, I guess I'm saying I'm dating myself by saying CD. Maybe MP3. I'll, I'll get it from my iPod. <laughs> there you go. Fuck it. <laughs> CDs or coasters now, man. Um, <laughs> uh, I have to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to divulge, uh, and I, I kind of t- briefly touched on this when uh, when you were gone, but um, some of this stuff connected with me on a personal level because um, as much as I, I was close with my father, my parents were divorced and the absence of a father uh, was poignant for me and then it got really poignant because there's the shots of the film when um, when Harry Dean Stanton and his son are on the pier yeah, yeah, and and the boy's wearing a white sweater. I'm not lying, man. Some of the pictures I used to look at when I when I didn't have my dad around, we were, we were down by the beach here in where we went for the uh, the rib fest. Oh, okay, yeah. And and there was a there was a beach on there, and there was a wooden playground, and I have a picture of me on this wooden like wooden kind of a pier thing in a white sweater. And when I saw that, man, it really walloped me. Yeah, really walloped me. And it's this stuff, I think, because it emotionally it rings true throughout the film. It comes from a sincere place and. It's well done. It's not kind of that hammy stuff that's intentionally trying to pull your heartstrings. It doesn't need to. It's legitimate and it's 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 sincere. It's true. Right. 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 Um, and I love that line. I can't remember who says it. Oh, I know who says it. And you you talked about it with you. And it's another great fucking small scene. Is the scene when Stanton says to the Mexican um, um, housekeeper, he says, "What does a father look like?" Yeah. And yeah. It's just a great, sweet scene, man. I really love that scene. And, and the thing I loved about that is, is they could have handled the Mexican housekeeper so many bad ways. Oh, yeah. And yet they handle yeah. her like a true human being in the film. Like somebody yeah. that's generally got a good heart and is generally a good person. And, and they don't handle her like, um, like the, the, the immigrant kind of charming pixie either that they sometimes do with yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah like just as a human being which you know is, is great as as terrible as it is to say it doesn't happen that way unfortunately no it's, what, it's it's one of those things where the kind of the mexican housekeeper became like the african-american housekeeper in the 70s and shit i mean i know it sounds like a terrible thing to say but go back and look at cinema you'll see a lot of that kind of stuff Oh yeah. Even when I was growing up, films in the '80s, there was the Mexican or Hispanic housekeeper who was either the sex pot or uh, the bumbling this uh, dolt. Yeah. So. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, sorry, man. I get pretty paranoid. And then they would even, they'd even do have a line where they'd go like, uh, they'd say something and they'd kind of fan their face with their hands, like you know, just stupid shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was you the know? whole Latino. I don't know. It's kind of hard to, but anybody that's seen watch cinema over the past thirty years knows what we're talking about. Oh yeah. Okay. So anyway, and then the, the payoff with that scene when you talked about with with the quote unquote rich father, and he's playing with the hat and he's nervous. Um, that they gives him the space that you know. Obviously, they're still trying to feel each other out in terms of where they feel they're going to fit in with each other's lives. And it's also a very playful scene, and it's a very warm scene. And again, it's a very sincere warm scene. So I loved it. Um, and then, uh, what else do I got here? I already said that. You might hear my son occasionally on the show. He's got these. He's checking out the microphone right now. He's he's got oh, his nice. hands on it. I'll. Uh, I'm almost done here. Um, and again, I just I love the emotional complexity between the kind of the, the great fill-in parents, for lack of a better description, or to give it shorthand, um, the aunt and uncle who filled in. You know, uh, and then with Stanton, I think there's just a great emotional awkwardness and complexity to that. Um, and if this is our second vendors and our second vendors with father a father son dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know if that's a recurring thing throughout all of his films. Uh, it seems to be in some of them. Uh, typically, the main theme that keeps coming up in vendors films seems to be 
the journey. He's very fascinated with the journey. So, which this has a journey certainly. Yes. Yeah, it seems like that's his main fascination. I'm not yeah. as familiar with later Vim Vendor's work. I'm really familiar mostly with his early stuff. But I was looking through his filmography, and I'm like, you know, I need to check out some of these films that I just kind of overlooked, like uh, Million Dollar Hotel and and stuff like that. I mean, he's made films recently. I just haven't been into him as much. I'd seen Million Dollar Hotel. It wasn't bad. Um, wasn't great, but wasn't bad. Um, I think I liked it more than most. And then we get this, the, which was probably the most talked about scene in the film, or a series of scenes. They all take place at the Peep Show, with that one-way mirror, which I think is a great, um, a great thing to kind of put it in there. Um, and these scenes are just fantastic. And early on, what's great is is how unwitting. Um, what is said is meant like you know because she doesn't know who it who it is that's behind the wall and they're kind of talking and i think just the unwitting meaning that that what she says has right right yeah because she doesn't know who she's saying it to and really what context it's in right um you know and then they they leave there and and stanton and uh, and hunter um i think it's, is his name hunter in the in the in real life or in the uh film i can't remember now in the film it's definitely hunter and the yeah and actually in the outside the movies it's hunter carson so is that kit carson's son or yeah it is okay yeah it is uh and he's great in it could a kid actor pretty good in this film i have to say interestingly was originally cast as bud bundy yeah i saw that which is wild and you know what else you know who his mom is his Uh, dad's you know kit carson who is his mom i I forgot his mom is fucking karen black oh yeah that is insane yeah that's crazy very interesting um, but I love that again when when we see um, Travis and Hunter, father and son, driving around Houston, and they're they're kind of camping out. And I love that we see a lot of these old buildings, and they're kind of ghosts of what used to be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and even the car that Travis drives. And this is another thing that kind of kind of further made it poignant for me was my father owned a ranchero, and we see again. I mean, it, it's partially out of necessity, I'm sure, because Travis is getting back in his feet. But again, he's clinging to something old, the past, with this vehicle. Yeah. Um, Stanton's final peep show scene with her could have been very stagey and showy, but as usual, he keeps it reined in, and it's it's all the more powerful and poignant for it. Exactly. And then finally, we get to see inside her bedroom, and we see that it's incomplete. There's insulation everywhere, and... And her outward exterior isn't what it what is in happening inside, and so we get to see her kind of run with things and and pick up the ball emotionally and not miss a beat. Which you know, usually when you get a scene like that, it's usually one per, one person kind of throwing the scene on their back and running with it. But when you have the two actors in that scene firing on all cylinders, it takes a good scene and makes it a legendary scene in film, which I I think this absolutely is. <clears throat> yeah, and another thing I didn't talk about in my review, but I should mention again. You would think, you know, Kinsky, she's her character's made some mistakes too, but she's still a person of character. Yeah, um, she's sending money back to to take care of Hunter. It's not like she's she's totally forgotten about him. She just doesn't feel like you know she was too young. She was one of those girls who had a kid way too young and wasn't ready for the responsibility. And as awful as that sounds, sometimes to say and stuff, I mean, some people aren't ready, man. Uh, if I'd have had a kid young, I wouldn't be the dad I am today. Trust me. I sometimes think to myself, man, I wish I would have had this kid much younger because it would have been so great to grow up with him a little bit more and stuff. But at the same time, I wasn't ready to have a child until I was in my 30s. I mean, I just I was still a child in a lot of ways, and I would have been a I think I would have been a terrible father. That's just my personal opinion. But now I don't think I am a terrible father. That's because I've matured a lot. So I think oh, yeah. you know it takes a person of character sometimes to admit that you know maybe they. 
maybe they wouldn't be the right person for that child. And I know it sounds like an easy way out. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that, you know, some people just aren't. We just had, I just had this conversation with somebody the other night. Some people are made to have kids, it seems. And mm-hmm. some people probably should never have children. And unfortunately, yeah. sometimes those people have like 20. You're right. And sometimes they don't. And you're glad they don't. Like I have friends yeah. of mine yeah. who are good people. They're good friends. But they're just not cut out to be parents because there's a nurturing aspect that comes with being a parent that goes above and beyond um, anything else. So, yeah, but that, that is the great thing about this. It's just, you know, it, it's people that, that were thrust into a situation out of love. They didn't kind of got it over their heads. And you know what I love about this film, and, and it's really highlighted in that last scene is, and I think we've all been there in a relationship at some point, maybe not to this degree, of course, but the tragedy at how things have changed so very much from when they first got into it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm really excited. And I, and I almost went to see it at TIFF. I'm really excited to see Blue Valentine because it seems to be that uh, that film. Yeah, it's one of my most anticipated films too. I didn't mention it last night when Bill asked me about films I'm most anticipating seeing. <laughs> I don't think I mentioned that because it's coming out this year, but he asked us about next year, but I probably won't see it till next year actually. We'll see. I think we'll both hopefully, hopefully get to see it for our year-end show. Oh yeah, I'm dying to see it. I want to see it so bad. Even my wife yeah. wants to see it. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be good. But the last line I have uh, is a quote, and it's just a heartbreaking quote. Um, and now that we have kids, I think we can we can uh, we can feel this line. I think a lot more. Um, um, n- 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 holy fuck, Porky Pig over here in Canada. Natasha Kinski's uh, when she says about wanting to see her son, and she says, "You know, I wanted to see him so bad that I didn't dare imagine him anymore." And you can feel that, and you can feel the emotional weight to that. When you're a parent, especially. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just she knew in the, that she just wasn't in the right space to be able to be here for, there for a kid. Now, I'd say I'll always make the fucking sp- – I'll always make sure I'm in the right space no matter how much of a piece of me it takes. But, you know, I'm not everyone. Everyone's not me or you. So, you know, she had to do what she felt was best at the time. And like you said, she didn't abandon her kid in that she was still trying to support him the best way she knew how based on the resources she had emotionally and otherwise. So, yeah, yeah. And without, and without um, but, talking about the ending, I mean, there's some there's some positive stuff. Yes. Damn. Yes. So let's uh, let's kick it over to you for make or breaks. All right, uh, my make or break scene is actually you know the scene where he, him and his son walk home from school, where he does the dapper gentleman uh, little walk and stuff, and they have fun. They do a little walking backwards. Those are the kind of things you do with children that children find very interesting. It always reminds me of that scene in uh, Jaws where Roy Scheider's playing with his son at the <coughs> dinner table. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, those little moments like that are always pretty great. Uh, because those are, you know, very real moments. That's the kind of stuff you do. Like right now I'm wrestling with a son who has got his eyes fixed on this microphone like you would not believe. He goes from microphone to my headset, a microphone to my headset. Neither one of them you can't figure out, but the microphone he wants first. Nice. Uh, and I'm wrestling with him too, man. He's getting stronger every day. Uh, my MVT is going to be vendors in this case. Uh, I could have went with a lot of people in this one. I love Stockwell in the film. Kinski's great in the film. Even uh, the kid is great. Uh, everybody's good in the film. The acting's all good, but this feels like a vendor's movie. It feels like his kind of movie. It's very much a, uh, a a very static piece in some ways, and yet it's totally constantly moving like a road movie does, and he, he does that like no other. I mean, he's definitely one of my favorite filmmakers. I mean, easily top ten filmmakers for me of all time, so I love his style and the way he shoots things. And again, it takes a guy of his, you know, his character and his European... Uh, you know, background to make some of the most American movies of the modern film era, which is really yeah. pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, my score for the film is a solid 8 out of 10. This is a great movie. I recommend everybody see it. Be prepared that it's a little bit of a slow burn, but man, it is so worth the two hours and 25 minutes you'll spend with it if you stick with it. So, 
That's my thoughts on Paris, Texas. Okay. Um, again, there was so many scenes, just a buffet of, uh, of great scenes in this film. Um, I, I had a hard time picking one, but I did kind of go with the peep show scenes at the end. Um, despite the, I could have put about 10 different scenes in a hat. Uh, I talked enough about those, so I'll say no more at this point. My MVT, again, I could have went with Vendors, or the fucking amazing Ry Cooter score. Oh, I'm yeah. just going to go with the, the cast on the whole. No okay. one misfires here, including the child actor, which is a rarity. Um, so, yeah, uh, this film <laughs> this film was incredible. <laughs> Can you hear him? Uh, Do you hear him in the background here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's frustration that he can't get the microphone. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to speed bag it or something, yeah. man. Uh, my score for this film is is very high. My score is a nine point five out of ten. Um, I think this is a masterpiece film. I think I think it's it's one of the best films of the eighties, uh, absolutely without question. Um, nice, nice. I, I, I'm glad you liked it so much. I really am. Oh, I really loved it, man. I really loved it. And 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 you know, one of the interesting things, and I wanted to mention it, but it wasn't the right time. Last night, Miles was saying one of the reasons he liked. Um, social network as much as he did is because that kind of film appeals to him and here's the thing this kind of film appeals to me so when you get material or content that appeals to you and it's done masterfully I think that can sometimes elevate a score more because we can agree that technically and all that if we're just going to clinically look at this film it's a fucking excellent film but when you add uh, what you like in a film an emotional um uh, sort of an emotional touch to the film in terms of how it connects with you that can elevate things even further um can you still hear me yeah i can still hear you oh fuck man i was like <laughs> i've been ranting here for a minute and you know it's gonna go it's gonna be fall into the ether but uh so yeah my score is a 9.5 i really this 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 has entered like did you say 9.5 you know, that second time around 9.5 man wow i thought you just said nine, nine the first time and now oh. I'm, I'm just realizing you said 9.5 amazing now i'm really happy that you enjoyed it this much man. this this is i would say i haven't even think about thought about the other films in it have you Top seen 10. have you seen wings of desire ever no i've never seen it man you should definitely check that out i don't know if you're rated as high as this but you should definitely check that out because uh i think i think vendors is going to be one of those filmmakers for you obviously well I, I, the family stuff is what gets me man i mean it really does yeah and, yeah, yeah. And, you know it, it's under it's underplayed it's like it's it's underplayed here it's not you know over the top um you know, uh, I'd say this is the top five films, maybe top ten films of the 80s. Nice, uh, nice. Fucking excellent, man. I am really, really enjoyed it. And I, I can't wait to see Wings of Desire, knowing how much you liked it and how much I've liked the vendors I've seen. And I don't want to hype this up too much. It is a long film. It's not going to be for everyone. But if it catches you in the right mood and, you know, you like what we've said, then hopefully you'll enjoy it uh, as much as we did. I will agree with you that the first time I saw it, I uh, didn't like it as much the second time around, and I think that's strictly because <laughs> I'm a parent now. You want to mm -hmm. say, say something to the people on the air? You want to talk to them? Hang on, he's trying to... He's got the microphone up by his mouth. Hang on. I'm trying to see if I can get him to say anything. He didn't want to say anything that time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it really hit me a lot harder this time around, uh, being a parent, than it did the first time around, obviously. But uh, yeah, great, man. I'm, I'm really happy that you like the film that much. I mean, I'd, it's very, very solid eight for me. I could probably even go higher than that, but it's very, very good. I, I've been bouncing between a 9.25 and 9.10, but the more I talked about it, the more I just thought, you know, this this is a really an, a, a, just a masterpiece. You know what? You know what? This kind of reminded me of maybe because of the setting and the lamenting over the past. Is it reminds me a lot, which is another film I rate really highly. Is the Last Picture Show? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's totally got that kind of feel. Yeah, 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I love the last picture. As you know, I love the last picture show. We uh, we should do that sometime. I know it's a little outside what we normally do, but that that's also a favorite of mine. Yeah, it's a fantastic uh, film. So. Yeah, so there you go. That's one of the actually I'd say the last picture show is like one of the great movies. Like I would of, say so too. One of the great films of all time. Oh, yeah. Um okay, so normally we would take a break. Uh but we don't have a whole lot of feedback. So will if you would be so kind as to uh hopefully you can do this uh, read some emails for me while uh, I wrestle with the uh the hairless bear that is my son right now. He's he's not a <laughs> Well, he's not he's not matured that much yet, so you know, I call him the hairless bear because man this kid Man, he's 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 gonna be a wrestler or something, man. Because this kid, alligator wrestler. Yeah, he wants to he wants to put me in the bear hug. He like he he's teething, right? So he he he's going at my throat and my neck and my shirt and anything he can get at to bite right now. Yeah, no, I know my youngest son, although not teething, is always wanting a nipple. So he's trying to yeah. find one on my shoulder and yeah. you know everywhere at this yeah, point. Us guys, uh, we're not equipped with the the right kind of nipples, you know. I guess. No, apparently not. But that. no, I did. I, I did kind of run for a second there uh, with some stuff because I was looking up the the uh, the IMDB credits for Socorro Valdez, the uh, the Hispanic housekeeper from oh. <laughs> Paris, Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Watch so. it. You'll, uh, you'll go down that wormhole, brother. Yeah, she played Governor uh, Governor General Garcia in the New Adventures of Zorro TV show in 1981. So. Wow, wow. Interesting. And Lowrider's girlfriend in Zoot Suit to the same year. Two we, very different roles. I talked about this last night on the OTC show, but we sometimes go down these wormholes, and, and I talked about it on there. I said they, I watch rewatch Kickass, and, and then I decided to go down the the infamous wormhole that men go down. Uh, by there's a teacher <laughs> in Kickass where she bends over and she's you know kind of big chested and stuff, and I'm thinking I wonder what that woman looks like naked. So of course I have the power of the internet in my hands, and I eventually go down the wormhole. I eventually found some photos, so uh, it, it, it worked out for me. It was a win. It was. But uh, we're going to talk about that off the I mean, I don't think it's anything. I mean, hey, you know, I, I like looking at nude women. It's no secret. So do I. So, I love looking at nude women. So it's like, you know, I'm going to go down that wormhole occasionally, and that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes, indeed. <laughs> uh, I just want to thank off the air Vance. You were kind enough to give him some answers I would have given him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, Vance, yeah. Well, I will just, his email was long and stuff, but it was mostly personal. So yeah. Vance, if you're listening, uh, you know, any, like I said in the email, any uh, any more questions you have, just hit one of us up, brother. We'll help you no matter what. Yeah, and I'll bounce them next time because Sammy obviously answered a lot for you. So I'll, I think it's my turn. Fair is fair. Uh, we are gentlemen. So I'll uh, take the next round of questions if you have any, certainly. Um, I'm, I want to get back to Sean in Chicago. He had some some great stuff he was talking about with fatherhood and stuff. Uh, we haven't forgotten about it. I just I want to give it the proper time to send you the email back, Sean. Um, but now for re- not real feedback, but I guess show-related feedback. First one comes from... Uh, Heaven's Trash himself. Uh, it is simply titled Feedback. Yes. Hi, gents. As Rick suspected, I was quite excited that you guys covered L'Ultimo Squalo in this episode. I have some really fond memories of this film as I was lucky enough to see it in the theater with my aunt when I was only seven years old. She took me out of school an hour early to catch the first showing on its opening day. I'd seen a preview for it somewhere. I did not shut up about it since. I remembered it was billed under the, same, under the name Great White at the time. I could not wait to see it. I was absolutely convinced it was going to be amazing. I wasn't entirely wrong. <laughs> yeah, Even that's true. at such a young age, I very clearly remember being a bit suspicious that I'd been somehow suckered. For one thing, we get the fat Elvis of killer sharks. <laughs> yes. Probably from eating three and four people at a time. But the shark even moves like a fat lounge singer and has remarkably bad aim during several of the attacks. Yeah. I remember a particular scene toward the end of the film when a guy shoves a two-by-four of wood into the shark's mouth after it's eaten a handful of people. I remember making the wise crack to my aunt along the lines of the guys giving the shark a toothpick. 
Um, there he is. Yeah, there he is. There he is. <laughs> uh, but I, while I remembered the film not being that great, I spent a long time looking for it to no avail. I once bought a VHS of it on a drugstore discount rack at the time, but I had no money. Sometime in the late 80s, I uh, hadn't seen it again until The Wonders of the Internet. I enjoy the film now specifically for its ridiculousness. Although I admit that Bruno Mattei took Jaws ripoffs to a whole new level with his trash piece, Cruel Jaws, which I sometimes recommend more highly. Mm-hmm. Although I prefer L'Ultimo Squalo myself for nostalgic reasons. From what I've read online recently, apparently Castellari was planning a series of stories, free release style, involving the shark as some sort of saintly protector of children, but eventually dropped the idea. That's that fucking, would have been something to see, eh? That, that's just fucking crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. What would have been even crazier is the rip-off film that Matei would have made in, 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 in the wake of that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it would have been incredible to see a Bruno Matei kids film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I've also read that he was quite upset about Jaws 3 saying that it ripped off several shots, the pier scene in particular from Ultimo Squalo after he wasn't allowed to show his film in America. When you think about it, there is a bit of a point there. There are several similarities between the two films, beyond the obvious big-ass shark-eating people. Kind of makes me wonder if someone at Universal might have been thumbing their nose at Castellari a little bit there. You guys have been on a hell of a run lately, covering some truly awesome stuff. Between you guys covering L'Ultimo Squalo and Never Too Young to Die, you've covered two of the three or four films on my mental list of things I've been thinking I'd love to see you cover on the show for quite some time now. And thank you so much for bringing the Friends of Eddie Coyle to my attention, as I absolutely love those films. I love the film. I'm certainly going to check out the Yakuza soon. Uh, sorry this ran so long. Feel free to trim as necessary. Happy holidays to you and your families. Will, and in brackets, Heaven's Trash. Yeah, good old Will. Uh, yeah, I mean, he told me he sent this uh, email and stuff. I think he'll like the Yakuza. I don't really have any doubts there. I think he'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I you know oh, man, that's another one. I keep I keep thinking about. We're probably gonna end up moving it up the queue, man. It's uh, it's too fucking cool for school. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll cover it at some point, along with Cruel Jaws. <laughs> yeah, we should. That'd be a great double bill, man. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he brings in a lot of good uh, points. You know, I mean, I really would love to have seen that uh, saintly shark movie. <laughs> That's that's something unique that I would have loved to have seen. Yeah, you you would see the shark and the child embracing, which would have been awesome in the kids' film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, but uh, yeah. So I think also he brings up some good points about Universal taking some liberties with ripping off the, the Castellari film, which makes them hypocrites, of course. But you know, those in positions of power uh, are in a position to do so, unfortunately. Yeah, they're typically hypocrites because they are in power. So that's just the way that kind of stuff goes. But. Uh, Jaws three is actually it's uh, one of my favorite bad movies. It's horrible. But, yeah, I uh, quite like it too. It's uh, like it's I fun. said, I vomited the first time I saw it, but that was not reflective of how I felt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But thanks, Will. We appreciate the uh, the uh, feedback. As as everybody knows, who's probably been listening to the show for a long time, he's a long time friend of the show. So it's always yes. good to hear from him. Um, next up is want me to keep going just because you got your hands full with the uh, yeah. I would I would appreciate that greatly. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so next one is from Matt, and Matt says sleaze. Really like the last episode, and it's always fun to listen to you guys cover sleazy films. Maybe that's the reason why the Bronstitution episode is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. This could be the sleaziest film you cover, unless someday you guys cover films like Water Power with one Jamie Gillis, oh. and Forced Entry with one Harry Reams. I have to tell him, Forced Entry is on our roadmap. It is indeed. <laughs> so, and it's it's the Forced Entry. We got it from CDB. Yep. Um, but those films may be a little too sleazy, and the wives may not approve. Well, firstly, they are sleazy but never too sleazy and my wife um is pretty liberal she'll probably approve uh, most wives probably not though <laughs> I I'd, I'd, I'd like the, to see her reaction to water power though 
yeah. You know what? If we ever watch it for the show, I promise she will watch it with me. I'll make sure she does. Uh, a quick question for you guys and the listeners. Wanting a good overview of the depths of exploitation genre cinema. I found a couple of books that may be of interest. Have you guys heard of Cinema Sewer or Sleazoid Express? I think they really capture what 42nd Street Times Square and the whole culture itself was like. Bit of caution, though. Cinema Sewer does get extremely raunchy, but that may be more of an incentive. <laughs> That's it. All right. Uh, I am familiar with uh, both of those. Sleazoid Express, I would recommend to everybody. I actually own that. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, talking about the uh, 42nd Street type sleaze type stuff. It's really great. I don't know if, if you've read it. I know you know of it. but I know of them. I've never read them, though. Uh, really good. Uh, Cinema Sewer, uh, Quint, longtime friend of the show's. Told me about Cinema Sewer a long time ago. I still never got around to those yet. Uh, while my ear, my headphones are getting ripped off my head. Uh, I still haven't got around to those yet. His motor skills are improving daily, <laughs> as I am finding out daily. Next thing I know, I won't even have to pick my own nose anymore because his fingers go so far up. It. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love those things. And uh, yeah, don't don't worry. We cover. We don't have any problem covering the sleaze. Uh, my wife's not a big fan of it, uh, but you know she understands that I am a huge fan of of garbage, and uh, you know as long as she doesn't uh, judge me for watching it, I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> but she doesn't. Go. She doesn't think anything of me watching it. She just obviously, you know, with a kid in the house now, I'm going to have to in the future be a little bit more selective as when do I view my water power films. Yes, certainly. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. You. I hate that we've had this. It sounds like the fucking Verizon yeah, I know. cast. We've had a few episodes like that in the past. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so moving along, the last email we have is from very good friend of the show, Brian from Northern Ireland. Brian says, Musings, as the year comes to a close, I've realized there was not nearly enough tough tit talk in 2010. It seemed in 2009 there were tough tits left, right, and center on the GGTMC. <laughs> the center tough tit is a tough tit, to say the least. Yes, and the tough tit in the center certainly is the toughest of the tits. <laughs> the ratio is severely lacking. Happy crim gents, Brian. Well, we will have to, I guess, one of our, <laughs> one of our um, cinematic... Um, what do people do? I'm an idiot. What do they do at New Year's? Resolutions. Yes, yes. Uh, one of our resolutions will be to feature more tough tits from the left, right, and center. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in the near, in the upcoming year, 2011. Uh, so there you go. Yes, uh, there'll be more. Uh, I know that uh, I think next month we are actually going to do that Miles show we've talked about doing forever. So, And I've got something else tough tit-wise that I want to drop on you, a double deuce. I can't wait. I was away from the mic there. I was looking for... A pacifier that my son has. He's going to be a baseball player, obviously, because he likes to take it out and throw it. That or an Olympic shot putter. Yes. <laughs> yes. And now he's chewing on the cord of my headphones. But as long as he's content for a few seconds, we'll go. Yeah, there'll be more tough tits. We'll be back to it. It's weird because, like, we always mean to cover certain genres so much, like westerns, for instance. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to start the show, and we've only covered. We haven't really, ultimately, can you compare everything we've covered? We've covered very few westerns. Yeah, it's been sadly. And even Kung Fu films, man. Lately, we've been dry with those. I was going to do Crippled Avengers this week, but uh, we've when we announce uh, what's coming up, yep. uh, we'll see why we didn't. But um, yeah, so that's it. I think we're time for voicemails. And happy uh, crim to you there, Mr. Yes, sir. I was going to say your last name, but I don't know if you're cool with that. So, Mr. Brian. Yeah, check out his uh, podcast, The Hammockist Podcast. Very good show. R- and and our yeah. uh, co-host was on there this week, the abominable snowman himself, Brian Rupert Pupkin. Yes. Here we go. First voicemail. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Nick. 
just holy shit. Never too young to die. You're a hunter from the future. Great white. Like, what the fuck? The most amazing <laughs> films ever you guys have been reviewing lately? Like, <laughs> classics? Or, to me, they're classics. Yes. But, yeah, man, props to Samurai, Willie, Uncle Cat, Rupert Piccolo for doing some phenomenal reviews of those, of those movies. Uh, and Rupert put in my head now that there's like a Your Hunter from the Future extended three-hour cut, man. Fuck, man. I wish someone could George Lucas that fucking movie and uh, put it out in all of its glory. That would be amazingly horrible. Be bad to see. I'd love to see that shit. But, uh, yeah, man, Great White, that was... God, when I was a kid, I read about it in Deep Red Magazine, and I, that was the first movie I ever treasure hunted. Like, it was the first thing I ever bought off of eBay, I remember. And I remember I fucking loved it until I saw Cruel Jaws, and then I just haven't been able to watch it since. But anyway, the weird thing about Cruel, about Great White is at that regatta scene, all of a sudden that shark all of a sudden has, like, balloons attached to it, right? Like, I don't think we ever see them shoot or harpoon balloons into the shark. Just all of a sudden it appears to have balloons attached to it. And I wonder if maybe it was just coming off of everybody's memory of Jaws that we just automatically remember that the shark has shit attached to it. I, I don't fucking know, but I always thought that was pretty funny. Or then again, maybe I, maybe that's in the movie. Maybe I, I haven't seen that cut or something. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess going back to the regatta, because you guys brought up quite a bit that episode, I guess it was kind of like a classic 80s staple. I mean, like, either a movie ends at a fucking prom, or, you know, you had the fucking regatta. Like, remember John Stamos goes up against, uh, oh, it wasn't John Stamos, right? That fucking movie with the, the fucking regatta. What the fuck's it called? I'm still thinking of Star John Stamos. Um, summer Rental, John Candy goes up against Troutman. And he beats him at the regatta. I'm sorry, it's a spoiler. Oh, yeah. And then uh, John Cusack in One Crazy Summer had the fucking regatta. I always thought that was a... <laughs> oh, fuck, I can't think of any other regatta scenes. Like, maybe there's only, maybe those are the only two. I'm going on hour 13 of work. I'm fucking fried. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I gotta go. No. <laughs> Good old Nick. Uh, and, and to say this again, uh, uh, Nick, he knows that uh, he's going to be on the show at some point. Uh, we're going to get him on. We're going to do... Uh, 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 ghost dog with him, and for obvious reasons, because of his online handle, and uh, it's on our roadmap. And also, uh, I think he wants to do uh, Steel Dawn, which is the uh, Steel Justice. Oh, Steel Justice, my bad. Yeah, Steel Dawn was the, the Patrick Swayze the, one. <laughs> the Martin Cove actioner. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that'll be that show. That'll be sometime in the near future. Hopefully, we'll get him on pretty soon. So yeah, definitely be, be a lot of fun. But yeah, you know he break. I think that scene with the balloon. I think doesn't he get caught up in a in a net? Don't they set up a barrier and then somehow yeah. he gets caught on one of the balloons? Shoots through it. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like the barrel scene in Jaws. But yeah, he brings up an interesting point. I love Great White as well. I know I didn't review it that well, but I mean I still think it's a great guilty pleasure. But once I saw Cruel Jaws, it kind of changed my life, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say because it's a horrible movie. But I, there's sometimes some some types of inept cinema that really just kind of. You know, alter your th thoughts on many things. I still love the Castellari film, though, very much. So the Castellari one's a better film, but of course, the Matei one's a better piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Matei's a special kind of filmmaker. <laughs> up there with Joe D'Amato and those kind of guys. Yes. <laughs> special, special, special. All right, uh, we got uh, one from Zom. We got this morning, so uh, let's see if we can get this one going here. 
and we can and I'll make it through the show. I'm uh, breaking out in uh, hot sweats uh, handling the beast here. So let's get to get going here. Gentlemen, this is Doctor Zom, and I'm calling from work. Um, just wanted to get something down for the record this week. Watched a few movies. Watched a few. Uh, I guess you would call them blockbusters, if you will. The first one was Inception. Uh, um, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I liked the cast. Uh, I thought DiCaprio was good. He picks good projects. I'm uh, rapidly becoming an even bigger fan of DiCaprio. Leo to all his close personal friends. Tom Hardy's great. Uh, I like him. I like to see him uh, as Mad Max. I liked him in Rock and Roller. I liked him in Bronson. Uh, dude's got uh, he's got some range there, and uh, he's got a good look. Uh, got the big thick neck, and uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's not a pencil neck geek. Is Freddie Blassie, the king of men, would say. Classy Freddie Blassie. Liked him too. Um, Watanabe was good. Ellen Page was good, although it did create a disturbing uh, question on the Palaver Forum that I will not go into uh, on this family show. Tom Berenger, I always like Tom Berenger, but he's looking pretty old because he is old and he got fat. Um, but hey, you know, I like the fat Val. I like the uh, fat Tom Berenger. Um Celian Murphy is a freaky-looking guy, but he was great in this role, perfect for the part. Uh, move on to uh, Scott Pilgrim. Um, this is going to go pretty quick and uh, pretty concise for the Zom, because I'm sitting here at work, and people are going to think that I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, which I am. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim, all I can say is uh, I loved it. I'm not a huge gamer, but, uh, you know, hey... I liked it. I liked this. I thought it was very entertaining. It was a lot of fun. Had a lot of good fun stuff in it. Funny stuff. Uh, the uh, ex-boyfriends ex, uh, slash girlfriends was great. Um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, she is on my list right now, Daddy. Uh, she is very sexy. Uh, she looked so much different that I did not even realize that it was the cheerleader from... Uh, one of my favorite movies, Death Proof. She looks a million and, times better than uh, Death Proof. If I was stuntman uh, oh, Mike, yeah. I wouldn't have uh, knocked her off very quickly. I would have. Uh, she looks great yeah, in uh, Final Destination 3, too. Tied to a post on a dog oh, yeah. leash. For oh. my own personal gratification. <laughs> what? Uh, anyway, Black snake shit right there. pretty cute, too. I don't know. I'd had a hard time choosing between those two chicks, too. All right. But uh, I got to go with. Uh, M E W or Moo. Or Mew. Anyway, I'm or moving along here. Okay. Uh, saw a movie, um, which I, oh, I also saw Sorcerer's Apprentice and thought it was a lot better than I thought it would be. It wasn't yeah. great, but it was entertaining and it was what it was. And, uh, you know, it was pretty good. Uh, Cage needs to lay off the hair pieces, though. I mean, you know, Jesus <laughs> Christ, come on, dude. Um, last mo- or, uh, well, also another one uh, I saw was uh, Sex and Fury with. Uh, nice. Reiko Ike and uh, or Ike, I'm sorry, 
and Christina Lindbergh, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. Saw a lot of Tarantino stuff in there, or, you know, he had a lot of his stuff off of that movie. Um, very strange watching anybody fight naked. Uh, I thought the same thing with Vigo in Eastern <laughs> Promises, and same thing in this movie. Uh, somebody fighting naked, uh, there's just stuff that just jiggles, uh, and it's not flattering. Uh, Christina Lindbergh uh, was uh, very hot in this, but uh, I thought the funny thing was on Imbada, um, when you have the list of the uh, of the cast, uh, she is the very per- very last person on the list, and I thought that was funny because she was probably like the second most important person in the entire movie and and had the most screen time um, after Ek. Uh, last movie, and this is the most important movie because I think that it uh, ranks up there with Inception, with Scott Pilgrim, and uh, maybe Citizen Kane. Uh, it's a movie called Sassy Sue, Ooh, and Sassy yeah. Sue <laughs> is a sexploitation movie that I procured, and uh, it's by written and produced and directed by a guy named Bethel. Buckaloo. Nice. And uh, you may recognize Bethel Buckaloo by some of his other movies like Midnight Plowboy, Southern Comforts, Country Cousins, uh, Tobacco Rudy, and Monica's Thang. Or Monica's Thang. (laughs) Anyway, this movie uh, starred Colleen Brennan, John Tull, and it had a lot of characters named Jake, Jed, Junior, Pa, Ma, and Honey Chow. <laughs> and uh, to give you an idea what this movie was like, it uh, it was pretty close to being a uh, porno. Uh, nice. Back in the day when we used to sneak into the Riverside Drive-In, they would show dirty movies on like, uh, I don't know, in the middle of the week or whenever. And a lot of them were just basically hardcore movies where they took out uh, the penetration and the money shot. And this was sort of like that, um, though it was pretty ridiculous and pretty funny because it was not only sexploitation, but it was kind of redneck exploitation too. Um, the first uh, scene during the titles, they keep cutting from the titles to a, uh, a dude in bib overalls, and he's just making these funny faces. And they, you know, flash and, you know, stop the shot on his making these weird faces. And then after the titles are over, they pull back the camera and you see that he is standing on a steel, uh, like, milk jug or whatever you call it. And he's standing on top of it behind a cow and he is stooping the cow. And uh, Paul comes over and uh, kicks the the, uh, milk thingy out from under him and he falls on his ass and... uh, He's very frustrated, uh, and Blue Paul balls. seems to be getting a lot of everybody, including all the uh, little hot redneck chicks and white trash, you know, kind of people uh, all around. And uh, Junior, he just is—he's uh, not doing too good. But anyway, it's pretty—it's—I uh, don't know—it's exploitation, redneck exploitation uh, at its finest, I guess. It was pretty bad, but it was. It was mildly amusing uh, in its shittiness. All right, this is Dr. Zom, and uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Metal Mikey, uh, and uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the guys at uh, Are You Serious? Because uh, I'm rapidly growing to love, 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 love that podcast. And there's one called Outside the Cinema that uh, is pretty goddamn good. And I've been listening to it religiously, religiously lately. And, uh, yeah, those guys are pretty good, too. Anyway, 
This dog is on, calling from the bunker deep below <laughs> the Black Forest of Bavaria. Uh, and uh, this is Zom Ut. Gotta go. <laughs> I didn't know he was in Germany. No. <laughs> All right, yes. so he, he addressed a lot of stuff in there. I don't even know if I can recall everything he addressed, but uh, stooping a cow is uh, something we haven't had on the show yet. I'm showing pictures. I'm showing my son pictures of himself. He's very vain. He he likes to smile at himself. Yeah, they get that thing where they love the mirror. They yeah. love seeing the baby. Yeah, that's what I always tell him. I was like, "Who is that baby?" You always say that to him and stuff, and he just starts <laughs> smiling. <laughs> well, that is all of our feedback. I thank Doctor Zom for his uh, voicemail, and uh, that's all. We didn't have a whole lot of voicemail this week. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Um, I guess I should jump into pleasantries, shouldn't I? Yes. All right, palaver.com, that is where all of us are. Go check it out. Uh, as far as sister shows, OTC and Show Show, like we said, we were on the year-end roundtable top ten, so take a look. Sometime this week it should be up on the OTC feed. Uh, family movie night. Uh, it was recently our good friend Doc's birthday, so um, go and wish him a happy birthday if you have not yet. Yes. Um, Sinsugar versus Punter, 35mm Heroes, Cinerama, and OTLP, Girls on Film, the Big Red Podcast, Movie Meltdown, Paleo Cinema Terry's been cranking him out lately. I'm a few behind, but i got to get caught up, man. He's, uh, as always, uh, choice, choice films from a choice man. Yep. Um, podcast that dreaded sundown. Now, I don't know what's going on with Mike's show. Is it? Is it back? I, I, I uh, haven't seen a new episode yet. Yeah, me neither. So, Mike, let us know what's going on, man. Uh, v Cinema, of course, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark. Gorepress Gorecast. Uh, is Jamie still doing the Gorepress Gorecast? Because I'm, I'm a little bit behind as well with that. Actually, they disappeared for a while, but I think they're getting ready to come back. Okay, so, so Jamie, let's go, brother. I've been talking about you more than you've been talking about your own show. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he's been in school, so he's been very busy. School, schmool. Get your education. <laughs> yeah. do, do what I <laughs> do. <laughs> do what I do. Just don't sleep, Jamie, ever. <laughs> yeah, don't ever sleep. Uh, Hammockus Cast, of course, with a good friend Brian. I Can Has podcast, of course, and the Glee cast. Uh, and then, of course, paracinema.net. Go get a subscription. It's the perfect Christmas gift. It's not too late. Nightmaretheater.blip.tv and horrorcommentary.com. Blogs, we have the ggtmc.blogspot.com. Pickleloaf. And these are all, again, blog.blogspot.com. Pickleloaf, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Rach on Film, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Death Rattle 13, and again, as always, from the heart, Aaron, thank you for all the hard work you put into our blog without so much as, uh, you know, anything. Just much appreciated. Uh, everyone, if you get a chance, thank Aaron at Death Rattle for all the hard work he does. Uh, Lightning Bug, Naked Eskimo, Big Suck Loser, Region Incognito, Fist of B-List, Stinking Paws, Shiftless and Shasta. Uh, next week, we may be doing a film that's on CDB, or if not, we'll try to get them to get it, because one of them is not on DVD. Um... Promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders. Uh, and, of course, omg-entertainment.com. There are still copies of Silver Saddle as well as a lot of Raro films. A lot of good stuff over there on Martin's uh, e-store. Yep. And uh, iTunes, of course. Friend us on Facebook. Join the group. Follow us all on Twitter. Twitter.com backslash GGTMC. Large William, Pickle of 10, Bob Freelander, and Uncool Cat. And there's a donate button. For, oh, i got to speak to you off the air about something that's going to help us substantially. Uh, so remind me very quickly when we get done here. I will do uh, so. And uh, burr, 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 that's it. Next week, uh, I guess you want me to just jump into what we're covering and why I'm 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, something you put together. So, yeah, I'll let you go ahead and mention it. Okay. So, uh, Mike Malloy, director of the great Eurocrime document, documentary that's coming out soon, and, you know, just a walking, talking encyclopedia of, of tough guy films. Um, you know, we talk a fair bit, and uh, we've been saying, you know, hey, Mike, man, whenever you want to get on the show and, and talk about some films, we're, we'd love to have you. So, he hit me up earlier in the week and said, you know, what's going on with the Dion brothers, man? Are we. Uh, you know, are we going to talk about it or what's the word? And I said, Mike, whenever you want to come on, you're welcome to. So for our Christmas episode, we're going to have special guest Mike Malloy, and we are going to be covering two films. The Dion Brothers was on our roadmap already, um, but he wanted to bump it up. It'll be our first Jack Starrett, uh, one of the terribly underrated directors of genre film of the 70s. And he's chosen one I'd never even heard of, uh, but Sammy had, and I'm very excited to see. Uh, it's a Michael Crichton film from 1981. Uh, with Albert Finney, and it is called Looker. It's, I guess, kind of like a, a sci-fi uh, thriller of sorts. It's amazing uh, sometimes when you meet somebody online and you have similar taste. If you actually look at our roadmap, uh, well, Looker's actually on my roadmap. Oh, fuck, no way, man. Yeah, it's on my roadmap, actually. So so there you go. Works out. Works out really great. I'm looking forward to talking about that film. Very, very 80s. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. And I've heard really good things. I'm very cautiously optimistic because there doesn't see it, it seem to be as much emphasis on sci-fi as it is just kind of um, the pitfalls of how technology can go awry as opposed to flying cars and bullshit like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, but I'm looking forward to talking to Mike again, too. We haven't talked to him since the interview. I know you talk to him sometimes on Facebook and are more often than I do. Uh, you guys are a bit tighter because you got the interview together and stuff. But I've talked to him off and on and stuff. But I'm looking forward to talking to him again because he's a great guy. Yes. And he knows a lot about the movies. Certainly does. So it'll be fun. Uh, okay. So uh, that's next week's show. I think, uh, do you want to give our, uh, what is our, uh, imp- I'm not going to play our regular intro. I'm going to play out uh, the Super Snooper song again because it's so badass I'm going to play the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a six-minute track, but everybody will be shaking their asses walking down the street listening to this show. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think uh, our voicemail lines, uh, do we say it? or oh, 206-666-5207, and of course emails to M-I-D-N-I-T-E, cinema at gmail.com. And we'll uh, obviously, uh, you know, we'll say adios, and if you want to hang up, you can, because I'm going to be tied up, and so I know you got to go to. write yourself a note if you could have sent an email, because nature's calling me, and it's about to start screaming. Uh, if you can send us an email, just, just put um, uh, hosting. Because uh, we have a good friend who's going to try to help us out with something that's going to significantly drop our hosting costs. So, okay. All right. Sounds good. It'll be good news. All right. Uh, we'll just leave that on the air. It's not that big a deal. Uh, or you that or I'll edit it out. Who knows? All right. So, yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, with that, we'll say, uh, I guess we'll say, oh, hang on. Let me fucking, I can't get anything correct here. <laughs> all right. We'll say, <laughs> we'll say adios. Adios.
Super Trooper, really Super Trooper. 